Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Let's go back. 2011 Look at the World Cup With Squidge Let's go back Oh baby Let's go back with Squidge Hello and welcome as ever to the Panic Attack Retrospective Podcast where every week we look back at a different panic attack we had 10 years ago and try to break down and relive it as thoroughly as possible. Joining me to discuss a panic attack we both had together is the one and only Mr. <laughs> Will Owen, my brother. How are I'm, you doing? Well, I was going to say I'm very well. That would just straight up be a lie. I, multiple, yeah. I, I, I've i asked multiple people in the last 24 hours, why did I agree to start a podcast that would just involve me reliving trauma? Like, why did we, we, we chose we to do this? this? We knew this was like, coming. We knew this was coming yeah. at the start. This was We've not been paid to do this. this. Was... We just chose to do this ourselves. Like, we've had this idea for quite a long time. And we yeah. thought, yeah, I'm looking forward to doing that podcast about the stupid fucking World Cup with the stupid rugby and the stupid tackles and ball and all that stupid shit. And then it just, it gets to this point, like, the, you know, there was a good bit, you know? There was, we watched Namibia. Oh, uh, that Fiji. was good, wasn't we it? We watched Canada being fun. You know, Canada, oh, Japan, that was, that was fun. Canada, Tonga, oh. that was fun. We we watched, even even we watched Wales play Ireland. Oh, great. And that was, was really Australia satisfying. against that Russia. How brilliant was that game? Yeah, that was so fun. Russia going for a drop goal 20 points Should we talk about that game instead today? That was superb. Should let's we just go, talk about that game let's instead? Let's go back over that. It's the retrospective Should retrospective we? podcast. So, uh, my favourite moment is, of course, Russia going for the drop yeah. goal 20 points Yeah, Konstantin Rushkoff, what a player. First player whose name made but it into this episode. Then, right from the start, them doing a cross kick to Tiki Samo because he was playing yeah. on the wing and he, you know, finished his career playing lock. Yeah. Oh man, what a game that was. What a game. What a game. So what much a fun. Game. Um, not do you know good, what? But that was... game was good. Yeah. Uh, for anyone that's just auto playing and doesn't know the game we're supposed to be talking about today, it is. Hmm. Oh, it's the one. Yeah, it's this the one. is the big it's the one game that we knew was coming the yeah. whole way. We knew this was lined up. It is the semi-final, the first semi-final between Wales and yeah. France. A lot of people have the been bo- in both of our mentions in the last 24 hours telling us that this game mm. did not happen. Um, I can tell you it did. Unfortunately, I think it did. <laughs> just had yeah. to go through it. It like, did. This definitely happened. You, you lot. I don't get that traumatic over nothing. You lot I who do, are listening but... don't have to have watched this back for this podcast. Don't worry. Mm. You might have chosen to, or you might yet choose to. I hope you don't, mm. because, well, if you're French, then maybe, but... You're all very sadistic. This is just yeah, what you're into. But if you're Welsh, then I assume that you probably won't, despite the fact this is, you know, the most talked mm. about game of the tournament, including the final to this day. There's a moment in the second half of about 12 minutes ago where Nick Mullins on commentary says, this is the kind of game that people will still talk about for as long as rugby is played, no matter which it's way so the last 12 minutes yeah. go. And he then weirdly says, this is the kind of game that two brothers who are currently watching in their front room with a kid they're supposed to be babysitting 
are going to eventually do a podcast on in just under 10 yeah. years' time. And it's going to be incredibly traumatic for them. And they're going to spend the first three and a half minutes at least really avoiding talking yeah, about the game. Yeah, yeah. And I didn't clock onto the fact that he meant us. Yeah, I didn't. I, I thought he meant just some yeah. other guys. And it was really weird listening back to that because the context changes it completely when you know it's about you. Yeah, you know? unless... When you know the, the prophecy Unless maybe there's a couple of teenagers who are watching that back as a result of this podcast whilst allegedly babysitting a child gonna... and um, a Westie called Charlie. Yes. It could be about them. It could be. I think it probably is. I think it's probably a bat in the knees pass. I think, no, I think it's a bit like, you know in Harry Potter, how the prophecy applied to either Harry or Neville? Yes. And like, we are Neville. Like, there's someone yeah, yeah, far yeah. more capable that's supposed We're to be We're the underdogs this, here. But yeah. we absolutely stumbled into this. Yeah, like, yeah. Like, watching some at home are like the Young's Brothers or something. Yeah. Um, no, one was in New Zealand. I don't know. Two, the Reese Samets were sure. watching at home. And really, they should be doing a really entertaining, really likeable podcast of the two of them being very wholesome and loving each other. Yeah. And instead, we're just being twats. <laughs> that's what that's what people come for. That's implying people have ever listened to it. Like, welcome if, if this is your first episode uh, of listening to this, because <laughs> I presume that some people actually like, might have jumped on this one as the yeah, first yeah. one. No, yeah, and that's no, fair enough. There's, you know, there's welcome. plenty more that are going to be more fun. And we're most likely going to actually talk about rugby a little bit today. Usually we yeah. don't, but we'll make a special exception for this episode. Oh, right, should we get into it? I also just want to acknowledge that I don't like to be self-aggrandizing, but I kind of do... I can see myself as the Neville Longbottom to Louis B. Samets, the Harry Potter. That just is... being like the slightly useless cousin nearby. Th- that is incredibly high praise of yourself. You fucking. I know. Narcissist. No, it is. I know. I and I, like this is before he redeems himself and gets hot in the last one. Um, this is like when he's just like an idiot who stands there in the the common room and goes, oh, Harry, "I'm just you shouldn't go out today." I'm just predicting predicting your glow up in the next three episodes before episode on the final. <laughs> I suddenly suddenly I'm incredibly handsome and doing rom coms with Rose Matafeo. Yeah, yeah. So. This is a game of rugby, uh, unfortunately. Yeah, um, yeah. okay, I we've have... probably talked around it for long. Yeah, enough. yeah, we honestly, I think everybody listening can tell how much, how nervous we both are about this. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. We're both really trying to dance around the subject, aren't we? Neither of us so, actually want to get started on talking about this. There's a lot of build-up to this game. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of stuff happens in the lead-up immediately. Mm-hmm. Wales goes berserk for it. yeah. Um, 65,000 people packed into the yeah, Millennium Stadium just under 65,000 people in the Millennium Stadium and bear my kickoff was at about 8.45 in the morning yeah. right so that many people got up headed into town headed into Cardiff like there are people travelling from all over the valleys yeah. in order to watch the game in company in the stadium yeah uh, I, that is insane I think pubs opened early so people could like yeah, pre-drink yeah. before this uh, oh, in Cardiff there was there were stories about you know applications for early liquor licenses and so on. Right. You know, yeah. You need a different license. Huge deal. Alcohol before midday. Yeah. And so on. So yeah, it was absolutely enormous. There's a story mentioned during the game that Hugh Bennett's dad, who you know Hugh Bennett obviously starting hooker for Wales. Yeah. Uh, Hugh Bennett's dad was a postman, and he said that his route took about three times as long this week because yes. everyone was stopping him and saying, "How's Hugh doing? You know." How are you doing? How are you feeling? Which is lovely. Ahead of this game, it is, it is. But, but that was what because Wales is a bit like that, you know. Yeah. Like you can't walk ten. Pe- if you get a room of fifty people from Wales in a room, at least one of them will be related to an international. Sure, yeah. Like at least one of them play for the Blues, you know. Yeah, or like has played rugby with Harry Millard or whatever. Exactly. One of them probably is Harry Millard. Yeah. Like, Harry Millard just turns up in that room with the postman. 
Um, so there's there was all kinds of there's another lovely story that this was the second time Dan Lydia had been to Eden Park. Yeah. Um, the previous time was his parents took him out of school to go and watch the 2005 Lions. Right. And oh, so I did hear about this. Yeah. What a what a depressing place Eden Park must be for Dan Lydia. I know. Like two of the worst experiences of his rugby life. I know. Yeah. Like he had to witness Bod getting tipped on his head, and then oh no, oh no, wait. I I needn't finish that. Um, uh, yeah, he has to go through the 2005 Lions. Infamous a Lions tour so bad they almost ended the Lions because of it. Yeah, like the worst tour there's ever been. And then he had to go through again, as Nick Mullins mentions, is going to be talked about for decades and decades and decades because of how much it hurt to be Welsh. And he was playing in that. Yeah, he wasn't just there; he was playing in that. Yeah. Yeah, it's truly awful. I have written at the top of my page at the start of mm. my notes on this. I have Wales versus France. Please tell me this isn't happening. So we both watched the punditry at the start and everything, I take it. We mm. watched the whole programme. Yeah, like, yeah. I, I didn't watch the full thing, but I watched most of it. Right, okay, yeah. Because I've had it with some games where I've been guilty of I'll skip through that. I'll skip through half time yeah, or whatever. Yeah. And maybe I'll skip some there's, scrum resets as well. There's 48 of these. But, you know, like, there's a lot yeah, to get. Right. But on this one, I decided I'm not skipping anything. You know, I'd actually go back and watch some things twice um, if necessary, because I really hate myself that much. (laughs) But there's a pre-match feature with Shane Williams where they Mm. interview him. Back when back when people wanted to hear Shane Williams speak. Mm. Yeah. No. Yeah. But it it was it was a really, really good and insightful piece, I think. And you could see how much he and Wales genuinely thought they were going to win the World Cup. I didn't noticed this watching it live. I didn't perhaps appreciate this watching it live, but Gabriel Clark's pieces in this World Cup were really fantastic. Good. Weren't All they? of yeah. his like insight, the the interviews he did, and the way they're put together. Very, yeah, pardon me, very very good. And the, the way he manages to get the answers that people want out of players, you know. Yeah, yeah. And the way it, it all structures tell, together. You can tell he's probably done like a twenty minute interview, and he's cut it down yeah. to three minutes, and he's just got the real meat in there, you sure. know. And he's managed to get a handful of because re- Shane Williams, we've all heard him do punditry. He is a very boring man who talks a lot and does not say a lot. Then, like once a game, he'll say something interesting, and he just managed to cut it down to like there's one. He managed to get like three interesting things instead out of him, and then sure. cut it down to just the interesting bits. Very yeah, very good piece. And as you say, there's that confidence, and they're asking him, "Do you believe in happy endings?" What Shane's saying, I found yes. remarkable is Adam Beard Senior, of course, father yes. of uh, Adam Beard, uh, the uh, the second row who now plays for Wales, saying that Shane Williams squats three times his body weight and was yeah. still getting faster. Uh, in 2011 which is insane like you could you think about how hard that man has worked to become a world-class yeah, winger yeah. like that's insanity the interesting thing about adam beard says as well is that that is incredible in any sport and he yes. obviously went on he went off to coach in the nfl after he left yes of course um so he's got experience in other sports you know yeah. he obviously had a background in having coached in america in other sports and so yeah um coached coached in wales you know yeah and also, another thing is that you get features of Shane walking around in his tracksuit and whatever. How mm. massive does he look compared to now? I like know, when he seems yeah. And obviously, he's not been going to the gym since then, of course. But, no, but he is. He says something in that piece as well about I'm not a 10 stone weakling anymore. Mm. And I think those comments really weighed on him. And so yeah. he's always been far bulkier yes. than he was as a kid. And I think even as you see now he is quite proud of his physique. Yeah, of course. Uh, as he should I think be. That, yeah, 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 absolutely. But I think those comments as a kid, when he was coming through, of, you know, he is very small. Yeah. Really, really got to him. Sure. And, you know, he's been counteracting those ever since. Yeah. We're still not really talking about the game. Sure. I mean, I've, I've got a couple of things left over from the pre-match mm. stuff. Uh, yeah, yeah. The first of which is 
in the pundits box they have Francois Pinar, uh, Martin yeah. Williams, and Lawrence Delalio all there. Three Good former world class back rowers. Good back yeah, row that. The yeah. three of them. Uh, and we chat a lot of shit about Lawrence Delalio on this pod, but very good number eight. For for yeah, all yeah. of his flaws, and very good at playing number eight. Like, very good in this, on this game. Yeah. Punditry. He didn't you know? say anything, like, can... like questionable yeah. this time. It's around. one of the rare times you look at him and go like, oh, you must be sober. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. Nothing has gone up your nose today. But they, at one point, like a said... Or a, fly. <laughs> or a COVID test. Um, yes. One... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Why Lawrence Delalio caused COVID? You started trying it in 2011 when the England team did so badly. You want to end the World Cup. Inside job, confirmed. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he saw a COVID test and thought it was cocaine. Um, <laughs> I wouldn't put it past him if he had enough. Yeah, true. So they, at one point, they one uh, Steve Ryder, the presenter, um, mm. which is really, really unbalances that back row uh, if he's playing nine <laughs> behind them. Get him sitting on the bench. Yeah. Like, sorry, Steve, we're going to give the free 80 minutes. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> we just think they'll come good in the last 20. So at one point he throws to Martin Williams and Martin Williams says, I can't see how Wales are going to lose tonight. And I said, oh, nugget, oh, if only no. you knew. No. And no. that was his exact wording. I can't see how. Like... Implying it would take something quite remarkable for Wales to lose. Mm. Yeah, and also there's a, there's another funny bit before kickoff where there's a clip of Mark Leavermont dropping a high ball, which I thought was quite funny. Yes, I saw that. Yeah, that was funny. Mark Leavermont. They keep cutting back to him, and it is a baffling thing because he doesn't seem to be reacting to the game. No, like I don't think he this... quite realised. Like I think he has managed to wing it all the way to this point, and it's like, oh right, mm. it's the World Cup semi-final now. Like if we win this, we're in the final and could win the thing. Because we've only talked about Wales, yes. but a lot happened in the French camp in the lead up to this game. Yeah. In that this was the week where player power took control. It all went apart this week. This Everything fell apart for France. And right? it already was, talk about... don't get me wrong, but like, oh, this, yeah, is, yeah, yeah. this is where like, it properly cracked. If things fell apart for Wales during the game, in the training week in between, there was a mutiny and the players took over. So like Doucetois, Bonaire, Aaron Nordeke and Yashvili Rougerie took over well. essentially. Yeah. Rougerie essentially took over as head coach. Yeah. Right. So essentially their starting back row were in charge. Yeah. And Lievemont stopped. Like there were training sessions he wasn't invited to or he was told to stand on the touchline and yeah. not say anything. Uh, and some of the coaches. So uh, Dave Ellis, who was the uh, no defence coach, sorry, defence coach was still very much involved and it depended on, you know, and so you can see that the one thing that France, you can't argue goes well for them is their defence. They defend very yes, well in this game. absolutely. And you can tell because that's the one area where they still had their coach working with them. Yeah, yeah. And like those, as you say, it was a massive fallout. One thing I loved is post-match in Thierry Doucetois' interview says like, uh, oh, we have tremendous team spirit in this team. It's like, do you Thierry? No, they, they do in the, in the team. Oh yeah, with yeah, the place. Once you yeah. get beyond that, yeah. Yeah. But I think that kind of galvanised the team. It. And they clearly became a tighter unit for the fact that they were doing everything themselves. The good news is that it was everybody against Lievremont. It's not that the yeah. players were divided. They all knew that Lievremont was corrupt. They all knew that he was the issue. It's not like yeah. you had one player in the team who was sticking up for him and sort of going, no, we need to stick by him. It was that one-sided that everybody sided with Doucetois. Yeah. I mean, when Lievremont was asked about it pre-game, in you know the, the pre-match interview in France he was asked about you know is it true there's been a massive mutiny and everyone hates you now he said I'm very sorry I feel sorry that I had to say some harsh things to get the team motivated but the stress and pressure are part of a world cup I say things I get them out of my system in order to bounce back wow that those were his comments okay okay so that's so probably quite telling that uh, means basically yeah he had to go with them and they were we've had enough yeah 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Um, should we look at the French team while we're here? Um, okay, I want to mention the other comments from yes, the players uh, in a lead-up from the, the French team. So at the press conference the day beforehand, Maxime Mars, Morgan Parra, uh, Imnal Aronordiki and Nicolas Mass were the players being interviewed, the players right. available for um, anything there. Maxime Mars was asked what happened and he shrugged. Wow. Uh, he didn't answer the question. He then was also asked, were you particularly motivated about play, by the fact you were playing England last week? And he said, nothing in particular. You know, was there anything in particular about England? He said, nothing in particular. I uh, get the so... impression Maxime Memoirs just doesn't really care about any of this. I get no. the impression, like, I can't pinpoint a personality on him. He's just excited to go and play for Algeria one day. That's true. Um, Aaron Ordeke said, I love England. Lots of fighting, lots of kicking maybe, but we won. <laughs> Fair enough. That's you know what? That could have saved us about an hour and a half of recording last week. <laughs> yeah, if I'd just seen that quote. But then when asked about um I'm gonna give you this quote in French, right? Aaron Ordeke was asked what happened, and obviously Aaron Ordeke was one of the players that has since been identified as having taken over yes. as been ahead, you know, coaching the team essentially. Yeah. Uh, he was asked, "What do you want to, you know, what was happening in English?" And he replied in French uh, that he didn't want to remue le mode, which means okay. stir the shit. Yeah, okay, that makes sense. Also said, "Our World Cup starts now. You can say all the words in the world, but now is the time for action." We've talked about all the money in the world. Now it's time for all of the words in the world. Um, French team. Yeah, should we look so. At yeah, so all kinds of stuff going on in the French thing. The only power the Avon had at this point was he could still pick the 15. Yes. So and luckily, he did a pretty good with... job on that. What? This is the other interesting thing. Mark Levemont was French coach for four years. This is the only time in those four years he picked the same starting 15 for two consecutive games. Yeah. I think there's a stat that he's picked like 15 one-cap wonders or something like that, including yeah, his yeah. younger brother. Including his younger brother. Yeah. Well, he, so he had... Who was playing in like brothers, the second division, wasn't he? Uh, yeah, him and his older brother Thomas, both had yeah. capped of France. Uh, and then his younger brother, yeah, was playing in the Pro Duh and got one cap off the bench for France in his second game in charge. That is Which incredible. was clearly his mum going, look, I'm sick of this, just give him a cap. Yeah. You know, he moans about it every Christmas. Look, when I coach Wales, I'm sure, I'm sure I could fit you in on the bench. I don't want that. Okay, never mind. I would um, rather Wales win the game than yeah, I get neither. on for 10 minutes and get smashed by Tonga. Yeah, that's fair. So the French team, uh, it's very good. Uh, as I say, like he's yeah. done a very good job selecting the, the team. I mean, Morgan Power at 10 was, is, is still, a, a, still a, an battling. interesting yeah, call. He went into the semi-finals with the confidence of this. Uh, Yashvili had picked up an injury against England yes. um, and was kept in despite the fact he was carrying an injury, yeah. which meant he wasn't able to kick goals yeah. uh, and they wanted to avoid him kicking as much as possible. Yes. So obviously Wales kick off by kicking directly to him and putting him under pressure to yeah. kick it himself. Yeah. Uh, which he does, he shanks it and that gives you an impression of actually they can do something here. I'm sure. sure we'll come back to that. But yeah. 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 So really covering an injury, that's the main story really, I think. Sure. Um, Mamas and Rougerie in the centres. Yeah. Very good. Claire, Medar and Palisson. Really yeah. inform back three. And obviously we've spoken about the back row, but uh, the front five of Pooh, oh. Servat, Mass, Pape, Nale is brutal. Like, they're all yeah. massive. And on the bench, they've still got Sarzeski, Barsea, and Pierre still to bring on. So, like, yeah, it's, yeah. it's it doesn't get any easier to tackle, you know? They also bring onto the bench one Mr. Jean-Marc Dussain. Yeah. A scrum half who was in the squad, did not play in the pool stages, but they put him on the bench for the semi-final, and they don't bring him on. However... They've, of course, got a final coming up. I wonder if he'll get any game time. You say he didn't play in the pool stages. He's never played a game for France at this point. Yeah. Like, 
Yeah, he is uncapped and he's on the bench uncapped. in a semi final. Uh, and they decided so this what, is his first match day experience. I it's don't 20, know. It's 20. It's 20. Wow. That's a it's lot 20. of pressure to put on somebody. Especially Dusan, who was a questionable player at the best of times. Yep. There's the, that's the French team. So, should we look at Wales? Yeah. Okay. So, uh, Wales make one change from the team in the semi-final. Yeah. Uh, largely, they stick as is because it worked. The big so, news you know, is that Reese Priestley misses out because yeah. of injury. Despite he was outstanding in that quarterfinal, and unfortunately he picks up it. I think it was a shoulder injury, wasn't it? Mm. And couldn't make this game. So James Hook comes into the ten shirt. Yeah. Uh, otherwise, as is, you know, Lydia Warburton, Falatau, Robertson yeah. Davis. You know, it's all Shane Williams, North Halfpenny, Halfpenny retained like, at fullback. Yeah. Loads of those combinations that really clicked, like Hugh Bennett in the form of his life, uh, Adam Jones and Geffen Jenkins. Yeah. And I, I remembered one of my big takes on this game always was that. And um, we'll get onto all of this, whether it's the case. Yes. Was I that about Wales losing Priestland and Adam Jones uh, was a bigger loss than Sam Warburton's red card, which, spoilers, you know. But I still was surprised when I saw the team sheet and saw Hook was starting. I know what you mean, yeah. It felt a bit questionable, but I, the thing is, hmm. at the time, I, uh, when I saw that named, I thought, okay, well, I get it, because he was a big deal at this point, Hook, wasn't he? Yeah. Uh, so I thought, like, let's let's believe in him. Let's see how he goes, sort of thing. Mm. And he has, he has his moments, but we'll come on to uh, how Hook yeah. played generally. Yes. We'll, we'll talk um, about that later. Wales then, you know, the bench again, largely the same. Nick Mullins makes the point beforehand that Wales used less of their subs than anyone else. Yes. Didn't use the bench. This is, this is uh, quite an alarming thing, actually, because a lot mm. of that bench are kind of worse players, worse versions of the starting 15. Yeah, yeah. Rather than active impact subs. And you do kind of think if they do win this and go on to play the All Blacks in the final, the All Blacks who have the likes of Sonny Bill Williams who can sit on the bench, mm. uh, and Stephen Donald, of course, then... He's, yeah, still weight-baiting, I believe. Yeah, Just something the call. like that. Yeah. Just the phone call. Yeah, but you know, if if that's the case, then that, that could be problematic because Gatland doesn't the... bring on his subs very much at this point. There are two real exceptions in that, being Lloyd Williams, who's a very different type of scrum after Mike Phillips. Yes, um, but very inexperienced but and young. Yeah, exactly. So he only had a handful of caps. Yeah. Uh, he kind of only just crawled his way into the team. Like it was a, yeah. He was kind of the controversial selection for the World Cup squad yeah. and played very well in the games he played in the yeah. stages. He uh, hadn't gained that sort of temperament he has subsequently. No, uh, but he was a very, very different type of scrum after Mike Phillips, but not yeah. one that suited a World Cup knockout game, yeah. most likely, unless you're behind and chasing the game. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the other exception is Stephen Jones, yes. who is a very calm, experienced fly half. Yeah. And even if Priestland had started, I would have liked to see him on the bench. Over. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, Proper test player is Stephen Jones. Like, yeah. Uh, uh, and I suppose, like, you know, Bradley Davis, Ryan Jones, Paul James are all very trusted internationals at this stage. You know, yeah. um, it's probably unfair for me to say that they're worse versions, uh, especially mm. Ryan Jones, given he's, you know, basically the leader other than Sam Warburton in this whole Welsh camp. Um, yeah. You know, he was the ex-captain before Matthew Reese, So he is sort of the calm head they're looking to bring on who can play everywhere in the back five. So, yeah. Yeah. But Stephen Jones at this point, 33 years old, playing in his fourth World Cup. Wow. You know, yeah. been been there, done it. You know, all-time top tries, top point score for the Scarlet. Spent yeah. years in, playing in France as well. Was a very calm influence you could rely on on the bench. Yeah. Uh, but, I mean, so that isn't how things begin. And I mentioned the very start of the game. Yeah. And I think we should probably get into it. I think I think we we should. I had notes on the anthems, but let's not do that. Uh, so Dan Lydiot looks so emotional. Yeah, Dan he's Lydiot, crying, isn't like, he? Yeah, Dan Lydiot is so emotional he can't actually sing. Yeah, he and Hugh Bennett. He tries to join in for the um, Hugh Bennett chorus, manages to. He can barely manage yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. And Warburton looks terrified. Yeah, yeah. 
And uh, oh, France belt out the anthem, by the way. It's a great rendition of La Marseillaise. Uh, Alan Roland is the only Frenchman not singing along. <laughs> nice. Uh, we will so, the get game. to that, Slander. Yeah. So, yes, Wales kick off. They target Yashvili. Yashvili shanks his kick. Yes. Wales get a line-up just outside the 22. Yeah. And from that, they launch a great... Really game. good drive. It's a great start to the game, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, no, the other thing worth mentioning is I haven't watched the game since it was broadcast in 2010. Oh, yeah, so yeah, I, of course. I All I've seen since then is the Mike Phillips try that gets brought up on compilations and so on in yeah. subsequent World Cups. And then, obviously, the two missed kicks, the Stephen Jones missed kick and the half anyone at the end. Because mm-hmm. uh, those are the only things you see. Yeah. So everything else I had basically no memory of because I hadn't... I deliberately tried to block it out. And I, as I well as the elephant in the room, of course. Uh, oh, I'm sh- I'm sure, yeah, you've seen yeah, that, yeah, yeah, of course, yeah. But that didn't uh, happen. But there's there's three or four moments that you see, yeah, make those very brief compilations of past World Cup. Sure, you see, you know, and then talking about it, yeah. And everything else was completely blank to me. I didn't remember yeah. any of it. So yeah, so this was completely new to me. All of this, yeah, I did not remember this more. I did not remember how well way it was. Me neither. Me neither. As I, I think I, I mentioned the last one. I think I might have watched this once, like not long mm. after the game, uh, like maybe the next year or something. Um, but yeah. not since then. So it's been a long time for me. So I don't remember any of this either. Uh, anyway, yeah. yeah, that mall. Yeah. So Wales get the mall going very quickly. They get up to about fifteen meters out. And then they go to, to pick and drive to keep the momentum going, to keep the speed going, and Lupe Faletan knocks the ball off. Yeah. Uh, which is, and, you know, unfortunate. And France managed to exit. They win a penalty from the scrum as Geffen yeah. Jenkins drops to his knees and they clear from there. I There's a few things here that I think on that scrum is an interesting one because uh, it's one of those rare scrums where the both tight heads are on top of their loose head. And I think whichever side Alan Rowland is on would get the penalty. Hmm. Because if you look at it from the other side, Adam Jones is completely on top. And, yeah, Al- Al- um, Adam does do, does do a pretty decent job. I mean, and Pooh looks like he's about to drop it. Then Geffen does drop it. Yeah, uh, and I think if he'd been on the other side, the penalty it would probably would have been a reset. Sure, but there is, Geffen definitely just committed penalty. Yeah, first. yeah, the penalty is um, definitely the right. One. Call. It's a really like, weird scrum. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm not complaining about that. No. Like Geffen does drop it. Yeah, but that. Falatau knocking the ball on in the first minute is a proper sliding doors moment. It is. I think if he doesn't knock that on, if Wales remain as composed as he did against Ireland, that might have been it. You yeah, know, yeah, I yeah. think it might have been. I've said it before, right? And it's been my take throughout the whole World Cup. I've said this a few times on the podcast that Wales, this Welsh team in 2011, were not composed enough. They were not mature enough a team, and the game management wasn't good enough to win a World Cup. Mm-hmm. Right? Uh, I think there's a few points on this. But there's one of them that you then... The one period where I felt like, oh, actually, I was wrong on that, was watching back, and I said this on the episode on it, the Ireland game. Yeah. In that first three minutes, when they completely break Ireland down, they go from their own half to the try line, and they score in the first three minutes. They're so composed, they're so on it, and they're so motivated and together, and they look like a completely cohesive team and a complete team that have a full all-round game, right? This could have been a chance for us to do exactly the same thing. Yes. Uh, Wales good as won that Ireland game in the, fir- in the first three minutes when sure. Shane Williams goes over three minutes in. Yeah. I think they could have easily done the same thing. They could have, you know, Falatau carries, they get a couple of quick carries, and then they score in the corner. Yeah. I could very easily see that happening. Falatau knocking the ball on turns the game. How rare is it that Falatau's the one like, who knocks yeah. that ball on? He drops the ball twice in, in thing is, moments. Here. You mentioned sliding doors moments, and mm. I, I had this thought for the first fifteen minutes of the game that I just thought I was just I genuinely when watching this game. I spent the first mm. fifteen minutes just hoping every single thing that happened. I was hoping something would happen differently because if anything happens differently in the f- first eighteen minutes, then the big thing in this game doesn't happen. 
you know? Yeah, yeah. Because the game just pans out slightly differently, and that's just how how time works, you know? That's how <laughs> rugby works. And so I just spent the whole time just thinking, like, well, oh, if this thing... Did, like, if this guy didn't drop the ball, oh, if this guy kept the ball in play mm. rather than it going into touch... There's a particular one I think we'll get onto. But no, I think that Falatau thing is such a key moment for me. That's, like... That is the swing in Wales not winning this World Cup. Yeah. Because I do think Wales' game management, and we'll get onto this a great deal, Wales' yeah. game management was not good enough. No. Uh, Wales' composure was not good enough. But they had that core spirit and ability, and they had that all-round game that they could pull yeah. out every now and again. But they kind of needed to start well. They kind of needed to, to kick, off, kick off like that. And then they could... They could have done something. And I think actually this game was lost two minutes in rather than, you know, on the incident. I get that. I get that. Because um, then you look at the next five minutes and Wales looks so nervous. Yes. Um, so uh, William Servat makes a break from the resulting hmm. line out there where he sort of dummies past Mike Phillips. Uh, Warburton slows the ball down so well. He makes a great ta- great shot yeah, yeah. on um, on Servat. And then later on that... Uh, face he makes a great shot on Aaron Ordecky as well mm. and he probably says like I don't care how big you are I'm gonna nail you uh, you're you're not getting past me but Dimitri Ashvili man like how good is he uh he puts in a kick that just spins into the Welsh 22 from miles away mm. and Halfpenny's really anxious covering it like yeah. he's just not quite sh- it Halfpenny is an incredibly good fullback but it looks like the occasion's getting to him a bit in those first five minutes yeah I get that and you know, I don't think he would he would be as nervous about that these days. You know, because he's no, a lot older and a lot wiser. He's been through that. Yeah, yeah exactly, exactly. But and there's a <sighs> there's a level of him just like you can tell he's nervous as he's trying to cover that. Of kick course, of course of he is. Yeah, looking at it too much and he's thinking too hard. He's, and he settles into the game as he goes. He's not got the best poker face as Halfpenny. You know, you can no. see these things usually. But it's just like when do you have one of the most composed fullbacks in the world who didn't mm. look a shred nervous against Ireland. He looked completely yeah. composed the whole time. You have to give so much credit to Yashvili to break down yeah, yeah. the unbreakable fullback in Halfpenny. He's just such a shit house, though. He's, he's unreal. And like, and I, Yashvili. I think Yashvili has probably his weakest game in the tournament in this game. You reckon? Like, I think he makes a few errors and he... Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he's still so annoying to play oh, against. Oh, I think he's unbelievable. Yeah. Like, he... The, the way he... Again, he has that, like, Romeo Geisin thing. Of just like he kicks to annoy the opposition rather sure, than sure. to actually make a tactical advantage. Yeah, yeah, he'll, <laughs> he'll kick it to tactically a place where the fullback will have to run because it's annoying to get there rather yeah. than to gain a, a territorial advantage necessarily. And if you do, there's a bonus. Exactly, yeah. Th- there were points in this game when I thought, should they have just put Parrot Scrum off considering he clearly isn't fit? Because there were points in which he didn't look fit, points mm-hmm. in which, point in which he didn't look comfortable, and points in which he was making mistakes he, he usually wouldn't have, I think. Yeah. I think trying to overcompensate for that or undercompensate for sure. what he was trying to do. So there's a few moments like that that Wales have a line-out that goes a bit dodgy. They have a couple of passes that they just aren't stringing together. Yeah. And they look anxious, with the exception of Jamie Roberts, who is yeah, he phenomenal looks up for it, in the first he? half. Yeah. He looks ready and angry and there and exciting, and he keeps like making really significant ground and even breaks and you know like using his hands and using his feet but yeah so Wales start to look nervous they start to look problematic Dan Lydia makes a great turnover in the yeah. the 22 uh, when France are pretty much on the line Mike Phillips then dummies a box kick makes some ground yeah and there's the first moment I think of Wales's poor game management and composure coming in yes as James Hook calls for the ball to come back to clear it when... Lee Halfpenny stood in at nine. When, yeah, Halfpenny yeah. comes in at nine. Instead of just waiting a phase or two and waiting for the scrum off, or even Shane Williams to step in yeah. and play yeah. nine. And instead, nope. 
nope, they call it out and he barely clears up the 22 because he's yes. put himself under a lot of pressure by having someone who isn't a comfortable scrum after. Yeah, yeah. That that was a mistake by the standards of what mm. we get to in World Cup semi-final standards it, at this World Cup. Exactly. It just feels like a, like a forebearer for what's about to come. Yeah. Of Wales doing something hasty because it's what you're supposed to do yeah. rather than actually thinking about it and just being calm. Yeah. No, I, I totally agree with you. There's... Another couple, like Hugh Bennett gets a really good turnover on sort of the halfway line mm. or thereabouts. And Wales, our first phase off a line out, uh, Hook does a really nice crossfield kick to North, mm. who has a nice bit of a run down the wing. And Dusatois gives away a really dumb penalty. And Hook converts it and Wales go 3-0 up. And you're thinking like... like from the corner, I was fully expecting him to miss me that. Me too, me too, yeah. I, I thought this is a silly decision. There's no way he's going to nail it. Yeah. Go for the corner, try and build some momentum. Credit works true. And hopefully eat a few minutes, change the, change the, the whole universe. And Van Clair is stood in a different position for a line yeah. out at some point. Yes, I I, I, I agree with that. Like, uh, as I say, I want everything to just, be changed. What I want to happen is I want Sam Walton to step on a butterfly and then kill his own grandfather. That's um, very insensitive of you to say. So yeah, nine minutes into the game, mm. there's one of the big moments that we've spoke about where, mm. uh, I mean, you see Hugh Bennett going to the sideline to get some blood cleared up and you can yeah. tell that he's he's ordering Prabhmathema, the, uh, the physio, to come on and clean up the, the blood on his face. Mm. And he's desperate to not go off because I think he knows Wales yeah. would much prefer him to Lloyd Burns and that yes. Gatlin's not planning to bring Burns on. And so he gets that cleaned up and he sprints back to the scrum. And then you see it happen. And Adam Jones goes off. I, I can't remember what it was he's injured. It's, it's a leg somewhere. A leg. Okay, yeah. Yeah. But he'd, he'd gone off with an injury and he was off permanently. So Paul and James he, came on to play on the tight head. Yeah, because he goes down very quickly. It's one of those, and a bit like the other incident we'll get to, where there's no angle of him going down. They just yeah. show him actually going, him walking over the touchline. Yeah. There's no Adams down, Adams hurt. There's no lead into it. Yeah. He's just then crossing the touchline and he's off. I did see him hobbling game. back into his half after Hook got the, the right. kick. Uh, that's okay. all I could do. But I don't think that was related because he mm. played on for another like five minutes after that. So yeah. I don't know. So Adam Jones at this point was po- probably the best tight head in the world. Yeah. Almost certainly the best scrummaging tight head in the world. Yeah. The only other and contender is though, frankly Nicola Mass. Yeah. Who is his opposite number today. Yeah. And if nothing else, that's an exciting contest to watch. You want yeah. to watch the two best props in the world really go at each other. Yeah. So losing Adam Jones is a huge loss. And yeah. on comes Paul James, who has played a lot of tight head and was very much used as a specialist who played both sides, yeah. but was a loose head. Yes. Like, with, but really, really good player as well, head. Paul James. Like, Paul, I was thinking about this. Paul James is a player who's been lost to time a bit. Yeah. He was a brilliant prop. Like if, he should have been a lion, really. Yeah, yeah, that yeah. Kind of standard. And he is a Welsh legend, I suppose, of the yeah. of the modern uh, age of Welsh rugby. You know, it's a shame that he was on, along the same time as Gethin Jenkins, but Gethin was quite injury prone, and so Paul James yeah. started a lot but, of games for Wales. There were points where they just Very started reliable. Paul James over him because yeah. Paul James was always a better scrummager than Gethin. Yeah, right? yeah. That was what you know. You looked at the game and you went, "Do we need Gethin Jenkins, who is this phenomenal rugby player, or do we need Paul James, who is just a hard bastard who now runs a cafe?" Yes. Um, and sometimes you would go, no, actually, we just need the best scrummager available. Because yeah. he was one of the top three best scrummaging loose heads in Europe for yeah. you know, the best period of his career. Yeah. Um, Very best of those two at the same time. Yeah. But he was a competent tight head. Like, yes. He, was a brilliant he wasn't nearly as good a, a tight head as he was um, loose no. head. Uh, so do you want to address your point about Adam Jones and what your take's been on this and how that sort of evolved? Yeah, this is something that I've always felt that actually... 
more so than the thing that happens shortly afterwards. Uh, I, I think there's lots of people listening that don't know what what that was. No, yeah. About. No, no. We're an educational podcast. The... <laughs> yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I, I like we are actually on BBC Bite Size now. Yes, um, we are. Yeah, we're, we're with Mara Tojane. Yeah, yeah, because he exactly. regularly appears on everything. Yeah, yeah. I so kids can get um, Harrow from home. So Adam Jones going off and Reese Priestland going off for me were bigger losses than the incident. Do you stand by that? I think I kind of. I think this would have been a very different game with Reese Priestland. I think, despite the fact that Priestland is famous for his shaky temperament, I think he was on such form and in such confidence yeah. that he would have nailed the two. He, he was unbreakable at this point. In the first half. He was unbreakable. Uh, apart from the fact that he was broken. But, sure. Um, he would have nailed the two kicks in the first half that Hook misses. Yeah. Uh, I think. And he would have changed it. Like, we, again, we're kind of talking around, and I guess we should maybe dive into it a little bit now, the way James Hook plays. Because mm-hmm. um, James Hook plays as a centre. James Hook plays as a centre stood at 10, stood as first receiver. And it it feels like Wills don't have a 10 on the, get, on the pitch. They don't have someone organising and managing the game yeah. at all. Yeah. Um, we have someone stood at first receiver and someone giving those first passes, but no one is thinking. Yeah. Uh, there's one point in which Wales are on the French 22, and you're thinking, and they eventually do hook sets back in the pocket for drop goal eventually. But they have a period where it's like, this is perfect. This is exactly the phase you want to go for it. France are retreating backwards. They're not going to get any pressure on you. Drop into the pocket. And instead, hook stands in and basically a pod position and carries it yeah. straight up. And loses some ground, loses momentum, and eventually goes for drop goal. And like more importantly, yeah, loses Wales their ten. Yeah, for exactly. Yeah, so you've got you've got no fly half, you've got no one barking orders, and you've got no one able to step in and take that drop goal. Yeah, right. Uh, that's not an option for of watching for. You've lost your momentum. You've lost your ten. You've lost your chance to take three points in a game that was eventually decided by one point. Yeah, and that was kind of emblematic of the game James Hook had. It wasn't necessarily a mistake, but it was silly decisions. Yeah, it was things that weren't costing Wales but they weren't making a profit off them, you know? In a way, it, it, yeah, it's like if you're, instead of heading in to do, you know, to, to do a business, it's like if they went into a business deal, right? Um, do you think someone playing badly is someone going, well, in exchange for all this gold we're going to give you, we'd like us to give you £20. But instead, James Hook's going in and going, do you want it for free? Or do you want to just, do you want to just have it? So uh, it's like, no, actually, you, you've made no profit off any of the things James Hook's done. Like, you have lost I, more than you could have gained. I think James Hook was very poor in this game. I um, do. I think if it was a poor game, I wouldn't necessarily be saying this, but this is a World Cup semi-final. This is the biggest yeah. game of his life. But you, so, you want someone that can play fly half. The standard's okay. very high. He misses uh, two kicks a goal and a drop goal. One of those oh, kicks was pretty much between the posts. Granted, he like does slip on a wet surface, so it, it's kind of forgivable, yeah. but... Uh, you would expect him to get, you know, one but of the others. The, the drop goal he goes you know, for a, barely gets off the floor. World, it's a World Cup semi-final. Yes, it's a slippy pitch. Yeah. But I can't, you know... Like, like Mornay Stain would have got that kick. Yeah, exactly. Like He went out in the quarterfinals, you know. Yeah. So, there, oh, there were five players on this pitch who would have got that kick. Yeah. Uh, at one point, Hook gets charged down at his own 22, basically on his own try line, and mm. France nearly score from it. Wales defend yeah. very well. Jonathan Davis gets a turnover off it, so they get away yeah. with it. At one point, Hook just falls over when Morgan Power is just running in a perfectly straight line and yeah, Power yeah. just manages to waltz straight through. At one point, he kicks the ball away on a, on a clear overlap where they, they, within two phases, maybe could, could have got to an edge. Instead, he runs out mm. of patience, tries to kick it for Shane Williams to chase and it's it's a pretty poor kick. It lands in the end goal. Shane's and too Palace narrow on, for that yeah, kick to work. Exactly, and Hook should have identified that. Palace on grounds the ball first. And, there's... and he's got a clear like five-minute 
five meter sorry lead like it's not yeah. it's not a close one it's one of those we go oh and you're like oh no that, yeah, that wasn't that yeah. wasn't very good there's also a point where he tries this this move where he straightens up and passes back inside to George North without mm. identifying the fact that the entire French back row but marking George North and he gives him a really really poor pass and North obviously knocks it on there's what I have in my notes of how James Hook's game went uh, as I say he had a couple of good moments there was, there was that cross kick he did well that first kick at goal that was very good but generally I think Hook had a poor game and he shanked a couple of kicks. Yeah. And I, as I said, I think a lot of it was just that like almost absence from the game. Yeah. You could have taken James Hook out and it wouldn't have made any difference to how Wales were playing. Yeah. Uh, even aside from the handful of mistakes he did make. Yeah. Um, so with Adam Jones, my opinion mm. is that it was a big loss because I do think Paul James actually, bless him, he did pretty well. He, he, he hung on in there. He, th- there was one penalty where Pooh absolutely mullered him. Uh, and mm. won a penalty from it but generally Gethin Jenkins was getting dominated a lot more than he was uh, granted Paul James on the tight head is maybe the difference between hanging in on the scrum and dominating exactly uh, yeah. so Adam Jones staying on the pitch could have meant that Wales won a couple of penalties themselves but Paul James did his best and I think th- there is a part of me that thinks even with Adam Jones on the field Mass would have still had Gethin Jenkins number Wales conceded eight penalties in this game five of them were at the scrum yeah Right, that's very telling. Yeah. With Adam Jones on the pitch, no, I don't think Wales would have been on top and dominating the scrum, but I don't think that would have been the case. Yeah. And this is a World Cup quarter final, you know, like France. Elite, one of their penalties comes directly from the scrum. Yeah. The other small two margins, actually, you know, it's, it's a, yeah. the other two come. From, they get into the position because of a one from Maul and the other one. I can't remember the top of my head now. But both, all of them come from a scrum. Like either yeah. they kick points directly from a scrum, or they got into that position because of a line out yeah. from a scrum penalty. Yeah, and it's a, it's an interesting one because sometimes when you look at a rugby match, right, and you say, "Oh, so and so," like if Wales had kicked their goals, they would have won the game. Of course, but you then go, "Well, actually, would France have found something and found some way if they were, you know, four points behind rather than three points behind? They would have found another goal they could kick and so on." And yeah, I often found that with you know, like the. Um, the team this worst team went on to become in 2019. Yeah. Uh, or, you know, like classic All Blacks teams. Uh, South Africa of late. Um, you know, Exeter have been very, very good at this lately. Mm-hmm. They are teams who, if they are two scores behind, they will find a way to score three times. Yes. Uh, if they are one score behind, they will find a way to score twice. Yeah. Right. And they how good they are is directly proportionate to how good the team opposite them are. Of course. I don't think this France team will like that. I think this France team would have scored an absolute maximum of 15 points. Yeah. Uh, I think this was a France team who were good for basically 9 or 12 points. And if Wales had kicked their two goals, they would have won the game. Yeah. Uh, if Wales had, you know, yes, they nailed those two goals. If they had scored when Valentin knocked on in the first minute, they yeah. would have won this game. This wasn't yeah. a France team that created anything. This was a France team that was incredibly good in defence. And yeah. they took the only free chance they had. You know, they had a 100% kicking sure. rate uh, in the way Wales missed. It's more the race three, to 10 really points than anything yeah. isn't it yeah Wales no, missed four kicks a goal France had three kicks a goal and got them all yeah like that is a huge difference yeah and all you had to do was score more than 13 points I think and you've definitely won yeah. this game yeah and Wales didn't do that I think again this is, we're getting ahead of ourselves but I think Wales lost this game more than France won it yeah yeah I, I agree with that I agree with that mm. I think that was generally the consensus wasn't it yeah and of course I suppose in, in one sense it's 
completely irrelevant for us to spout hot takes about what the most important yeah. factor of Wales losing this was, because frankly, there were all factors and Wales lost and, by a point. That's yeah. that's the only thing that matters. You the, know, We gain nothing from speculating about this. You know the thing Esteban Menezes, the Uruguay coach from the 2019 World Cup, uh, currently, yeah. uh, said that his goal was to be the protagonist of each game they played. Yeah. Was that he wanted them to be the team you were talking about, right? It wasn't like in the previous World Cup where you're going, oh, how many tries are, you know, yeah. Wales going to score against them? How many crazy assists is Quay Cooper going to do against them, etc.? Yeah. He wanted it to be coming out going like, oh, actually, you know, look at these cool underdogs who we love and so yeah. on. He wanted them to be the team they're talking about. Of like, Wales were 100% the protagonist in this game. Yeah. And we haven't talked about France that much because France were just reacting to what Wales were doing. Sure, like, yeah. That was the way the game went. The game was was Wales. Wales were the main character. They were the character we're spending all the time yeah. with. Yeah. I look at my notes and mostly I mostly have Welsh players' names written down. And I wondered, is that because yeah. I'm a biased Welsh I, supporter? I, but I, I do that. think I that it's just because Wales are on top and France are doing very well to weather their storm. I think there's a few French players who are absolutely outstanding. Agreed, agreed. Uh, Nicolas Mass is one of them. Nicolas yeah. Mass is very, very, very good. good. He completely like he. Ha- there's one big error that we'll get onto, mm-hmm. but otherwise he is brilliant. Yeah, and completely dominates the scrum. You know, there's a few where the... you get the feeling like he's cheating, but he's completely getting away yeah. with it. He's excellent. The French back row are outstanding as well. Um, yeah, yeah, they're, they're the other it's ones. a standing yeah, item. I think we'll get yeah. to that. Because um, puts this brilliant shot on Roberts at one point um, mm. as he comes through the middle. But um, and luckily, Thierry Dusatois' game is really interesting. This one because he's the opposite of in the games before and afterwards. Yeah, because uh, in the quarter in the final, he plays as the showier version of that back row. He's making all the tackles. He's doing everything. Whereas in this game, yeah, he's like the silent assassin in this him. one, isn't he? Yeah, yeah, he's playing the Scott Fardy role. To, yeah. You know, Look at that as the thing of just like the that guy who is quietly really annoying and allows the other back rowers to stand. Yeah. Out. One more thing I'll touch upon is there's there's a really nice Wales attack where Shane Williams is blooming good, isn't he? Where he sort of starts crabbing across field and then he he manages to somehow put James Hook in like so like acres of space mm. who manages to set George North free on the left hand side and you're thinking like this is this is a very good opportunity you know a few more phases they could they could they could maybe score from this but then back. In comes, and I do not miss this at all, this really predictable blindside bullshit play that we'd always play. Yes! What, what the, so I I think partly I've been looking back over it for, you know, again, the, the video. But bloody Warren Ball. Bloody, like, I, and I know Gatlin hates the term Warren Ball, yeah. right? But I don't think of it as the big crash ball. No, 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 that's pretty I standard stuff. I think of it stuff. as that. That going to the blind side. I think if it's right Phillips ball, line. yeah, 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 exactly. Because it was always Mike Phillips picking and up and doing it Because really it was slowly. super predictable. And because like, Phillips would do it so so slowly. Four times in this game, Wales get put into touch because they, de- How they demand to play to the touchline every How time. How telling right? is that? The other thing is, why did no one work this out beforehand? Yeah, that you could. So you've got if you they, angle they your body up, towards the touchline when you tackle them. But that's what they're doing. Yeah, they're leaving every time. They're leaving Bonner usually Bonner, around yes. order key. It's usually Bonnet. Bonnet nails One this. of them is standing on the t- like next to the ruck whenever Wales have a sail on the five metre line. Yeah. One of them, usually Bonnet, is stood just to the side of it and he turns his body outwards towards the touchline rather than facing the guy he's going to tackle. Yeah. And it means he's just driving Wales into touch all the time. Yeah. And instead of looking to make a dominant shot or looking to, you know, looking to get in over the ball afterwards, he knows he can win the ball back yeah. just by driving them out an inch further. Yeah. And he. Again, he he puts them out. I think he does it three times now in order he does it once. Yeah. Um, it's just, it's so easy for them. Yeah. It's such an easy point of analysis. Yeah. It's it's very easy to defend when you've actually mm. prepared for it. And they yeah. had. So, yeah, Julian Bonnet was, was outstanding on that role. Again, the benefit of just like having a, having a coach who's actually um, watching. 
Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Should we get to the elephant in the room? Right, so there's a line out on about 12 minutes, which is in a similar position. And I started just saying, like, no, I no, put, no, oh, no so please, no, in that, that thing. Yeah. That line-out happens, and I think, oh, we've gone away with it. It's not happened. Yeah, yeah. This time it's not happened. Yes! History's rewritten itself. And then and I was, on the 18th minute. I was engaged and shouting at this in a way I would if it was live. Yeah. And I think my brain hadn't quite registered it wasn't. And I, again, there's, there's points in the second half in particular where I was genuinely expecting something different to happen this time. Yeah. And I think I had a moment when I saw that line up first time instead of like, genuine we, got moment, this time. Like, we did it, oh, we yes. did it, we got there. Yes, it didn't happen. Uh, yeah. And then, so France are in their own 22 and they go to clear the ball and James Hook almost charges it down and gets a fingertip to it. Right? So there's so many sliding doors things here. I hate this. So if James Hook properly charges it down, maybe he scores under the posts and that line out where the thing happens never takes place, right? There are no cards given in this game, okay? And Wales are then 10 free up. Yeah. Um, no, 10 nil up, 10 nil up, yeah. yeah. Um, if James Hook doesn't charge or, it down at all... If James Hook doesn't charge it down at all... Hugh Bennett throws then, it in. Yeah, it's Wales' throw in. Wales hit the line up cleanly. Luke Charteris, they just took it right up in the sky, around the clouds. He plucks it out somewhere as it's about to hit an oncoming plane. Yeah. And then they bring it down. Sam Warburton binds into the mall and Wales play on. Yeah. In a case scenario, France nick the ball and they don't have a move set up where they can, they can use their winger. Yeah, exactly. But instead, instead, France get the line out. Servat throws in, the ball comes down, as you say, France tried to run a move where um where Vantor Claire would come in and hit a line. Yeah. Uh the line out ball is quite ugly. Yeah. Meaning, you know, Wales do a pretty good job of disrupting it, which again, if only they'd let them have it cleanly and they could have just France could have just made a break or something off yeah. this. They the line up ball comes down quite uglily and France decided to try and run the move anyway. So Yashvili throws the inside pass to Vantor Claire. Sam Warburton has drifted round off the line out, reads it, and hits him very hard. And I remember at the time, as universally sat in that living room, supposedly yeah. babysitting a child and a dog, alongside Los Familia, shouting, you know, great tackle, Sam. Yeah. I remember that. Like, I remember, I remember that, that moment. I remember oh, that. Great I tackle, what Sam. A tackle. You know, what, what a, a hit. Tackle. What a tackle. Yeah. Because, very, because in 2011, it was. That was a, that's a yeah. brilliant tackle. Then, referee the... Alan Roland blows his whistle. And you think, yes. oh. Time goes off. Yeah. And a massive fight breaks out. Between mm-hmm. all of the players get involved in every direction, Vance Claire stays on the floor. Yeah. You've pretty much got both packs of forwards like at each other's necks, like kind of shouting and pushing and shouting and everything. Yeah. 
and you wonder has he blown the whistle just to calm that down? It's going to be a scrum, you know, like um, because Claire drops the ball. Yeah. So is he going to give a going to give a knock on? Yeah. He's just calming things down. Yeah. Wait, times off, and we cut back to a replay of the tackle. Yes. Um, Sam Warburton himself has said that he didn't know what the fuss was all about when people when French shirts were grabbing him. He said that mm. subsequently that um, he did the identical thing to both Ron Nagara and Stephen Ferris in the semi final. So he figured there was no issue with the tackle. Yeah. So that goes to ground. As, as I say, I think universally people are saying that's a fine tackle. Yeah. Michael Owen on commentary uh, says, I've only watched four films. I don't know what rugby is. I'm a footballer. <laughs> no, Michael Owen on commentary, who has a really boring voice. Bless him. Like His commentary itself is fine, but his voice is dull. But he then says, if that's a penalty, I think that's harsh. Yes. Yeah. Well, yeah, he says that's, that's a harsh penalty mm. uh, for Alan Rolland to have given. That's that's a real shame that that's happened, you know. Uh, and then the camera cuts to Sam Warburton sat on the bench. And we think, yeah. oh, no. What? So, no, so it cuts back to the Welsh team were in a huddle. Oh, of course, yeah. And... Roland turns and says, you know, number two to Hugh Bennett, you know, are you ready? Are you ready? Going to go. And Bennett says, we're just deciding who the new captain is. Yes. Of course, we don't hear that at that point. We're, we're wondering what's sure. going yeah, on, yeah. you know, and, and the ref mic's quite low in the mix. I think we've both seen slash heard this enough times that we now figured that out. So here is the commentary from that moment. And that's the decision. It is a yellow card. I think that's very, very harsh to get a yellow card for that. As you say, Nick, it's pretty clear rugby. It's a very ferocious game. Uh, it's pretty hard to bring someone down with... Uh... Sam Warburton has been sent off. from the pitch. Yeah. In a World Cup semi-final. Yeah. It's still... I just watched that like an hour ago. No, we're an hour into this podcast and we're just talking about the moment. Okay. Um, I just watched that about two hours ago, I guess now. And it's still like my stomach turns yeah, hearing that commentary. Like it's the... That is one of the great moments of... We mentioned Nick Mullins already, but like that's a great moment of commentary of him reacting so fully yet articulately yeah a word for nick mullins as well in the moment moment, he's he's so the emotion of that is captured but he Mm. then moves on to just talk about the rugby and says we're gonna leave the experts the back rowers in the studio to talk about that at half time in the meantime we'll talk about the stuff people are doing we don't like it but uh let's get on with it they don't like it they don't like it send the don't yeah. send the dirty that's, kids off that's the one one way it could have been better is if mick morgan was commentating yeah absolutely <laughs> oh no <laughs> you perfectly clean get <laughs> <laughs> he shouldn't be sent off he's not giving him a yellow card who's I maybe the speak. best country in the world <laughs> that's that's i that, can speak yeah yeah we all can speak so this is, of course, one of... In fact, it's probably the most controversial decision in the Rugby World Cup history. That one of the most in... Yes, that one of the most in sports, mm-hmm. to be fair. I mean, you said at half-time, so uh, they throw over to, yeah, Francois Pienaar, who is livid. He is, yeah. That clip's on so, YouTube as well, of him mm. going mad for that and saying that it, he's ruined the game, that this should never be a red card, maybe a yellow card at most, but maybe a penalty. So the red card is on 18 minutes, Yes, right? 
they the, there's then 22 minutes of the half played out. There's then about four or five minutes of adverts. There's quite a lot of adverts first before they cut to Franco Pino yeah. at half time. At which point he says, I've calmed down now. I was livid. And then we hear him talk and he is screaming and shouting and he is like, he has lost it. Yeah. As I said, he is free. He says like that he's killed the game for us. Yes. He's ruined the game for us. Yeah. Because he was Welsh. He's as Welsh. Victor's taught us. Yes. So deleted scene seen that where he goes to Boncanon. To talk about what, what actually happened in the tackle, Sam Warburton lifts up Vincent Clare mm-hmm. and then basically the way Sam Warburton describes it himself is that he just hit him so hard like he would have any of the, the second rowers or back rowers because you can't yeah. go half-heartedly into a tackle and then he ends up going... But Clare is two stone lighter than Sam Warburton, bear in mind. Uh, Clare goes above the horizontal and Warburton, apparently he in the blink of an eye, he made a, a split-second decision that dropping him would be better for him than driving his head into the ground, basically, because he yes. noticed that's, that he'd hit him slightly too hard in a slippy surface that it was like, sorry, I've messed up here, sort of thing. The, the other thing is, though, that's a quarter of a second he has to think yeah. on that. Yeah. It's amazing and that he manages to, isn't it? There's already such hydraulics in action. Yeah. There's already so much going on yeah. by the point, you know, you're hitting someone like that, you've got all the emotion everything built up. Yeah. You can't blame someone even for not having that conscious process. And I think a lot of that is just the fact that he has spent the last 10 years thinking back on it in slow motion. Yeah. You know, like he, the moment he goes off, he starts thinking about, well, what was I thinking? What was I going through? Yeah. And then that expands and expands and expands. So Sam Warburton came out after the game and said, uh, it was a red card. It was the correct decision. And he was the only person saying this. Everybody in the media, uh, I I found actually a really, really funny quote about this where, um, Mark Cueto said, um, Alan Roland, you're having a shocker and not for the first time either, which is really funny because he's still <laughs> bitter about that decision for the 2007 World Cup final, which Roland was refing, I will add. Anyway, everybody on social media is saying that it's, it's wrong, it was a penalty, maybe a yellow card. Sam Warburton is the one person who steps up and says, no, it was the correct decision, it was a red card. And like, yeah. that was... As a 14-year-old Welsh fan watching that, that was quite an emotive mm. thing for me because that was sort of the mm. day I... Genuinely, that was the day I learned that owning up to your mistakes is a good thing. Yeah, yeah. And Sam Warburton, I guess it shows what a good leader and role model he is. That like He taught me that uh, through that moment. And even though I... I disagreed with with the thing, and uh, ch- chances are, you know, I, was, I even thought at the time, like maybe he does, uh, but he's mm. owned up to it and said that he made a mistake, uh, and I, I, I recognised that. But yeah, he came out and said, "I think it was a red card," mm. uh, and he sort of not quite defended Alan Roland, but said to to stop yeah. scrutinising him. He did his job, and yeah. he just walked straight off the field after the game and didn't protest. Yeah, and. It's an incredible and very underrated moment of captaincy. It is, yeah. And I think you see the, it's, it's almost a cliche, but you see the measure of someone when things aren't going well for them. Yeah. And you see the measure of a captain when things aren't going well for not just their team. You know, that is as heartbreaking a loss as Wales have ever had to endure as yeah. a nation uh, in any sport. Yeah. You know, the semi-final in a World Cup is the best Wales have ever done in any sport. Yeah. You know, that's it. And especially one with the level of pressure and everything on it that he had. But not only is the team under such stress, yeah. But he personally has has been in that situation, yes. And for him to be as he's taken that on his shoulders, yeah, yeah. Uh, his very very broad, well defined shoulders yeah. that he got through spending thirty one, no, thirty of the thirty one days he had off over the Christmas in the gym, yeah. And the only one he didn't go in was because it was shut. Yeah, like Sam Warburton was a man built on his work ethic and his discipline. Yeah, and there's another thing that comes up is 
when Wales made one semi final before this in against New Zealand in New Zealand in the first World Cup. Mm-hmm. After beating Australia, no England, sorry, in the quarter final, Wales went out on a two day bender. Wow. And then had to play the All Blacks four days afterwards. Wow. Right? Sam Warburton's team could not have been more different than that. Sam Warburton right? would have questioned having his bar of chocolate after the Ireland game. Yeah, exactly. And I spoke to I spoke to someone recently who'd, you know, like been on sort of worked in media relations in a couple of Lions tours. Okay. And apparently, sort of right through to about 2009, it was quite common for after games, teams, you know, the, the Lions squad to go out drinking with supporters. Yeah. And that all changed when Sam Warburton took the captaincy. Wow. Because he was so professional. And he was so, no, actually, you know, you follow my, exa- you know, like, I'm not going so to. So he, I'm... his personality might have changed the game in a way, like professionalism. Yeah, yeah. Like, he, he was so professional that the rest of the team then, you know, even sort of old standard. heads who'd been yeah. playing it, exactly when, like, no, actually, he's right. You know, like, he's, maybe we do it once or twice over the tour. Yeah. But we're not going to go out after every tour game. We're not going to go out after the first test. Yeah. Uh, we need to follow this guy. This guy is a professional. This guy is a real leader. Think of... And we saw that in this game. Yeah. We saw that. It, you know, obviously he only plays 18 minutes, but this is the game that sums Sam Warburton up better than anything else, yeah. almost. Think of that interview after the second Lions set in 2017 when they've mm. won, they've beaten the All Blacks. It's the first time Sam Warburton's ever done that. They've beaten the All Blacks yeah. in New Zealand. And the interviewers after the game are saying to Sam Warburton, like, oh, I bet you're delighted. And he, he just has a look on his face where he is smiling. He's happy that he's done it. Mm. But he says, we've got to win the Test Series. Like, yeah. we cannot, we cannot hang on this. This is... 80 of 160 minutes we yeah. have to win the test series you know and that says a lot about him and with the, the interviewer then says come on sam you just beat yeah. new zealand in new zealand this is tell your grandkids time yeah and he just laughs and goes like no we've got to win the test yeah. series yeah and that was at the time similar to this like i was almost annoyed he wasn't celebrating sure it. sure but you look back and you're like no that's the leader that's the guy that's why he's one the of the greatest captain captains in world of all time. history yeah that's why yeah like he's as good it's a world's personality that's drilled into him and as you say there was something being a of, kid. of being weens and seeing him come through as a clearly good and decent man who worked hard. Yeah. And I know this is turning into a bit of a Sam Warburton circle joke, but that's my favourite topic. Yeah, me so too. Yeah, I'm fine with that. Um, I honestly, I want to be in bigger and bigger circles just joking over Sam Warburton. Uh, and I, I'm happy for that to go on my tombstone. I, yeah, I just think he was the best role model, the best example. Yeah. And, you know, people can talk about, I remember when his book came out, people were talking about, you know, I liked him less because they he's basically just like a psychopath. Yeah. He's just so focused. And I love him for that. Yeah, you know? me and I too. Think maybe because I've got elements of that in me. But I I want my captain. I want the role model. I want the star players, the you know, the key men in, in teams like this, in, you know, public arenas, to be someone that's so disciplined and hardworking and yeah. honest and decent, yeah. you know? Like there's... Sam Warburton is as good a human being as you get in yeah. professional rugby. Yeah. So on all counts. Before this podcast, I watched uh, a more recent interview subsequent to his retirement. Mm. Wales Online did about this red card. So um, you have a friend of the pod, Ben James, awkwardly sat in the corner wanting to <laughs> not converse about this red card yeah. and hoping Sam Warburton wraps it up. And, and Ben got in touch with you before the game saying that he's very glad that he's yeah. not on this episode. So Ben, if you're listening, hi and sorry you had to go through that. But anyway, so Sam basically says that he actually disagreed with it. That at the time he said that he thought it was a red card, but he, mm. he, he didn't actually think that. He just knew that he mm. basically he's grown up hating watching footballers argue back to referees, knowing that they won't change yeah. their decision. Sam Warburton 
the whole time thought it was just a yellow. Mm. At the t- well, when he made the tackle, he didn't think it was a penalty, let alone a yellow card. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Subsequently, he's gone, okay, I think that is a yellow. Because basically, they had changed the phrasing of the law in the week. Um, yes. And not told the players about it. So he he well, his take was basically he's not sure how the players were meant to so to know about this. We'll get we'll get onto this, I suppose. But continue. Yeah, there's a there's a lot to pick up on that. Yeah. So he basically also said that as he was walking off the field, he made sure that he didn't say a word. The cameras were following him all the way, and that once he played an under twenty match against Japan in Swansea, and he'd been yellow carded for an accidental high tackle. The match was shown on S four C, and the cameras caught him swearing, and his mum bollocked him for it hmm. basically he, his thought was just like i can't swear i can't say anything bad because everybody yeah. will know about it and my mum will give me a click around the ear uh, and that's amazing that that was his thought when you know that happened and you know all yeah. the, the floods of tears and everything came after the game you know in the change rooms when he said basically the whole welsh team told him that that wasn't your fault sam we're, yeah. we're really proud of you and he said like look you couldn't you you couldn't have made me more proud lads you know you couldn't have been braver mm. and he just broke down and cried so the a few points to pick up on there. Yeah. Uh, one is this was the second card Sam Warburton received. In his life. In his life. The first one being uh, that one the, in the under-20s. The first, so he had one yellow card for the Wales under-20s. Uh, he went on the rest of his career to get one yellow card for Wales, one for the Cardiff Blues. Yeah. Two for the Cardiff Blues. I thought uh, it was so just one for the five, Blues. Two for the Blues. Right. Two for the Blues. There's one in his last season. Okay. Um, so Multi-boy. over his full, full life, Sam Warburton received five cards. And one of them is the most high-profile card in rugby history. Yeah. And um, and he was an open side flanker. Like I, I remember Sam Warburton's mentioned this stat since I went through and calculated when I did that video on him. Of uh, Sam had like the best or the lowest rate of penalties per game conceded. Yeah. Of any, like you go through like the, the world class sevens for the seven. Last that's years. insane. Pocock, Hooper, George Smith, uh, McCaw, etc. Like Warburton had Tippericky, you know, all of these. Sean O'Brien. Warburton had the lowest penalties per game of anyone. Yeah, he was the cleanest player, and that's the thing Francois Pinot says. You know, yes. And there is this thing of I think it's something we need to get away from, and we are slowly starting to as there's more and more red cards happening of red cards being a moral judgment. Yes. Of like it's a judgment on one action, and it isn't on the intent of it. It isn't on who the person is. And you hear that thing all the time, like he isn't a dirty player. It's like yeah, but he he, he slipped up and he made a mistake. Yeah. That could have killed someone, or could have you know paralyzed or could have sure. had, you know serious consequences yeah, for someone. Worse, yeah. Certainly. Yeah. So there's there's that. There was something else you mentioned. I suppose that the whole thing about the refereeing. Should we get into that? Yeah. So we spoke previously about Bryce Lawrence and the backlash he received yes. for uh, the South Africa Australia match, uh, where people accused him of a lot of things. We've also spoken before about Nigel Owens and Eliotta Fumanosipolu targeting comments accusing him of being racist. Mm-hmm. So obviously, sticking up for referees is something we've done before. Uh, on this podcast yeah. and sympathising with them whilst also sympathising with the frustrations of players and fans when mistakes are made you know when when controversial but, things happen so something really interesting happened the week between the pool stage and the quarterfinals World Rugby sent an email to all the referees all the officials officiating on the games in the knockout stages yeah. saying there were certain laws they were going to be harsher on so one was the breakdown they were going to change it slightly so that hopefully the games would be slightly more open yeah. um, that didn't really work because no. because because the idea was that by penalising, it was going to lead to quicker ball because it was less, more mm-hmm. difficult to compete for the ball. Yeah. But it instead led to players not being used to that so and more penalties. Is the time to open points. up the game or World Cup semi-final and final weekend? I don't know if they went, though. All of the close games between Tier 1 teams have been so low scoring. Yeah. Uh, we want but they to were try all bloody good games. 
Yeah, yeah. That, but that's the thing. Wardrobe we frequently misunderstand what the appeal of rugby yeah. is. They think it's entirely it's about tries, tries, and yeah. highlight packages and yeah. fancy offloads. And actually, a lot of the appeal, the reason 15s is a bigger sport than sevens, is because actually a lot of the appeal is in the drama and days like this, yeah. right? Where there's there are there are what five occasions on which points are scored yeah. across 80 minutes, and yet it's one of the most compelling. It's as Nick Morgan said, it's a game that we talked about for as long as we, yeah. we live. So. Yeah, we have that. We have they changed the breakdown law. Uh, there was one other thing that I I couldn't find, but I remember the three points. You're now allowed to pass the ball and... forwards. <laughs> yes, <laughs> we're not going to tell anyone, which because if anyone tries it, Freddie Michelak got away with that in 2007. Uh, yes, that was that was an it there. So the other thing they said is that tip tackles, as you know, as they were coined yeah. around this time. We all heard the word tip the tackle for the first go. time on this day. Yes. Yeah, that was where it started. Tip tackles are now a red card. Yeah. They've been upgraded from a penalty or yellow, depending on the severity, depending on the outcome, to being an automatic red card. Yeah. I don't know if teams were warned of this. Teams were told Some this says they is weren't. happening. Yeah. So I don't know if that's just the message wasn't passed on to the players. Mm. I don't know if it was sent to someone high up in the coaching panel, you know, sent to the team managers, whatever, and then it didn't get down, to, it didn't filter down in the Wales camp. Yeah. But World Rugby changed the interpretation. They didn't change the law, they yeah. changed the interpretation to be stricter. And the interesting thing about this is at the time, and ITV did afterwards bring up a few examples of other tip tackles in the World Cup. Yeah. So there was a yellow card for one for Tonga. Yes. Um, I want to say it was Hufanga. Yeah. Yep. He got a yellow card. Yeah. There was uh, another one. Like there's a Fabrice Estebanez did one and got a yellow card. Estebanez, Francois Stein. Yeah. The Francois Stein was on the receiving end of one from Fiji. Yeah. And Donnie Rousseau did one on Shane Williams in the first game. Yeah. Where's the first game? Did not get picked up at all. It was not yeah. a penalty. There's loads and loads of examples in the World yeah. Cup where they were, one of them was given as a yellow card. Loads of them were let go as either a penalty or nothing mm-hmm. at all. That, that was just the norm. So this being a red card was hugely controversial and no one agreed with it at yeah. the time because these penalties are not being, being given as red cards. They weren't being given as, as said, often anything. As I said, Danny Rousseau's on Shane Williams was the worst of the lot for me yeah. and yet he got away with it. Yeah. Uh, and we talked on the, the previous episode of the Island about, with Chris Corrin about he mentioned Sam does a tip tackle or what could have been a tip tackle yeah. on Rona Gara, but Lee so, Charter was helping that's the ground. Sam Walton says that the reason why he yeah. followed through with this is because he got a, he made pretty much the exact same tackle on Rona Gara mm. and Stephen Ferris, both in that game. Yeah. And so he had no inclination that he wasn't allowed to do this. But this tackle was not a red card in 2011. No. Nowadays it is. It's a red but card offence, but a red happened... card wasn't the correct call. Yeah. So, uh, but it is a red card. If that happened now, we'd all go, oh, that's a it's red card. It's very clearly red card nowadays. Yeah, yeah, of course it is. But that's only the case because of this tackle. Yeah. This was the example made and set, right? And so it then happened in the Hiding Cup when teams got back in December, the December round of the Hiding Cup. Florian Fritz got sent off for a red card for his night, almost yes. identical tackle. By Alan Rowland. Yeah, and he's exactly the same thing finger didn't do. Yeah. yeah, put the middle finger up the referee and start screaming and shouting and had a go at the third official on the fourth official on the touchdown. Yeah. Exactly. I wonder how his mum reacted. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Can we get a check and get her on as a guest? Yes, let's do it. Um, Florian Fritz, Mrs. Fritz, the cat. No. Because it's such a weird and specific point because there isn't another one like this. Yeah. You know, because we all knew by the time they did the same thing with taking a man in the air, we all knew that was a red card and they kind of escalated slowly. Yes. And similar thing with more recently, shoulders to the head. Yeah. Uh, that was introduced and we saw a few weeks in the Premiership and the Pro 14 of that being a problem, yeah. of there being more and more cars, and then teams have largely sorted it out, 
to the point at which now, when you see Xander Vegas or Peter Armani in the Six Nations yeah. or Bundy or Key, you look at them and you go, oh, no, that's a red card. You yeah. know, like you're processing that it's, consciously. It's one of those things that, what smaller price is it ruining a game of people throwing a ball around for mm. saving somebody from potentially getting, you know, head damage or whatever? Mm. But the, because the example that changed things wasn't as happened in the Premiership, as I say, you know, it happened a few weeks ago and Lee Blackett came out and said, you know, like, we're not adapting quick enough as teams yeah. to this change in the law with the shoulder contact, shoulder to head contact, uh, and because there have been too many cars that we can't, right? Instead of it being a a round of premiership games that is forgotten by the end of the season, yeah. instead this happened in a World Cup semi-final yeah. in a game that, as Mullins himself said, will be talked about for decades. No matter what happened, this will keep coming up. With tip up. tackles as well, it's now reached a point where players' behaviour is so good around it that they're now punching yeah. it less severely. We saw it in the Six yeah. Nations against Scotland where Monty Iwani did a tip tackle on somebody. And it was very similar to this one, to be honest. Mm. And he got a yellow card for it because players are now behaving a bit better and yeah, referees can recognise, oh, it's okay, he slipped up. We'll give him a yellow card for it. Mm. You know, it's not a red. And because of the precedent that was set by this red card, players stopped yeah. lifting people in tackles. Exactly. Like, it, you know, it's to, to quote Batman Begins, as I did in my GCSE politics exam, mm. people need dramatic examples to shake them out of apathy. Like, you need you need an example like that to change things. Yeah. And, yeah, so with time, they've stopped being a problem. Teams have stopped yeah. doing them. Coaches have stopped saying, you know, try and make that dominant hit and smash them on their back in that way. Yeah. And I don't, you know, the game is no worse or no less of a spectacle, no less physical for it. Yeah. It hasn't really changened anything. The game hasn't gone soft, sorry. No. And the same the thing, thing will happen with <laughs> Like, yeah, oh, it absolutely has. But shoulder contact to the head will, in 10 years' time, will be looking back on the 2021 Six Nations and we'll go, that wouldn't be a red card nowadays. Yeah. Peter Romani was under Vegasons because we needed those examples to stop players doing yeah. it and stop players absolutely. flying into rucks absolutely. so recklessly. Should we talk about the rest of the game? Yes. So, yeah, back to the, the rugby that happened subsequently. Yeah. Because I think we've <laughs> we're, gone quite thoroughly. We're an hour and a quarter in and we've covered 20 minutes of the game. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, I mean, it's probably fair enough that this is a bit of a longer one than normal because it's... This is going to be a four-hour podcast. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I'm fine with that. I don't know if everybody else is, but we'll move. So, Wales do look quite deflated after this. You know, they they kind of have a while where they're trying to acclimatise to it a little bit. Uh, France win a scrum penalty not long afterwards where Nicolas Mass batters into the the Welsh scrum and uh, they go three all. There's... One exception to where I was looking a bit deflated and a bit shell-shocked, and I did exactly the same thing I remember doing at the time, of like not really paying attention to those three points being scored. I, I paused. because I had to pause and you? take 20 minutes out because I realised yeah. my head wasn't in it. I had a not the similar thing. of just like I... I had a similar I moment in the second half. I had the point. same thing. I had it happen in watching it live, I remember, like completely yeah. disassociating because yeah. you're just thinking about like... You want to happen to the players. Because, like... yeah... Yeah, exactly. And I do think those three points come... They completely come out and sneak up on you. But they... Yeah, you forget they, they're there. They just come because the team are a bit baffled and thrown by Yeah. And like, like my... what's three points compared to that? So um, I tweeted a picture of what I <laughs> what I did in my notes. Yes. And it wasn't me making a point. I, I started because I began trying to make notes on what happened with the Sam Warburton red card. And I began with that little scribble in the corner. Nice. And it just it began as like the word Sam, and it just became a scribble. And then it, I just went, no, like I was genuinely just, I can't quite process yeah. that. And so it just became a massive scribble on the other side of the page yeah. with the word no, which I went over and over and over and over and over. And 
yeah, it was a really hard thing to process. You kind of lose concentration for a bit. But the one Welsh player who doesn't is Jamie Roberts. Yeah. Who has the exact opposite reaction of he goes, well, no, now the headline is going to be, you know, brave and bold 14-man Wales defy odds to, to beat France yeah. to make first ever World Cup final. Yeah. And the rest of the Welsh team are going, I can't believe this, we've lost the game. You know, yeah. How are we going to cope? How are we going to get off it? But Roberts steps up and gets better yeah. after the red card. Yeah. No, you're absolutely right. I mean, he makes a he makes a, break, a clean break where he tries he gives the pass to Jonathan Davis, but it hits him right in the snozz, oh. you know, right on the the fox's snout. Jamie Roberts is simultaneously playing flanker and center in this game. Yeah, yeah, like he's brilliant. He, yeah, he he's so good, isn't he? I mean, most scrums he's having to go onto the flank. There's a point in the second half where they just point back in the center, but he's having he's having to go on the flank, which doesn't help when it comes to scrummaging for Wales because no. uh, you know he'll be the first to admit that he was slightly out of his depth there. But bless him, he, he does he does a very good job. And yeah, you're right, he has an excellent game. There's one point where Morgan Parra uh, throws a bit of a dummy and then makes a break. And it's, it's a really, really nice break. Uh, he threads mm. through a bit of a kick uh, for Palace on to chase. And Halfpenny manages to somehow save Wales. But this is the one where James Hook gets charged down on his own try line. Yeah. Julian Benet is very close to scoring. As I say, luckily, Jonathan Davis and Dan Liddy managed to in tandem well, turn the ball over. And North makes so a great they have hit. A- France have a massive overlap, and Yashvili needs to go short side to Bonnet. Very strange. Yashvili takes forever and over it they, as well. Yeah, yeah. Like he stands there, he thinks about it, thinks about it, then passes to Bonnet on the short side. Yeah. He tries to drive over in the corner, and he then again takes a long time when they still have the overlap. Yeah. Um, and they don't go wide until eventually George North has enough time to shoot and make the tackle yeah. and dislodge the ball. Uh, France could have scored a try there. Yeah. And it's the only try scoring the chance they have of the game, and they blow it. Yeah. And that's part of what I was saying about you know I think they were good for nine or twelve points. Sure. I don't think they would have, because otherwise they would have scored from... If they were going to score a try, it would have been from that, yeah. you know? Uh, if they were going to score a try, it would have been an intercept or a breakaway or a charge down or something. Yeah. They weren't going to score from any pattern play, because they got a yard out from the line, had a massive overlap and couldn't finish Sure, it. yeah. There's a point not long after that as well, where Maxime Medar goes for a really speculative drop goal from 50 yards. Yes. And did, um, didn't he do the same thing in the 2019 quarterfinal in the second half? Yeah, 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 he did. Th- he did. That's it's so bizarre. They're the players. only times I've ever seen him going for a drop goal. Uh, he did it for Toulouse in a European game quite recently. Right. And obviously missed. I don't sure. think he's ever got a drop goal in his life. Yeah. Sometimes he just likes to do it. Yeah, you know, like in the biggest break. games of his life. He just like, yeah, like going for a drop goal is like making a balloon animal to him. Yeah. <laughs> I like that thought. You can just hire Maxi Medar to come uh, to your kid's party to try and start speculative drop goals from 50 <laughs> metres. Have, have we got a clown coming? No. Have we got so- a magician coming? No. Have we got a fullback with sideburns? Yeah, we're actually, have we got have we got a fullback with with a big boot, but not a massive boot, and enormous sideburns. It's like, yeah. I also like the fact that like you can tell how good Max Maxi Madar is like Samson in the he is how good he is is directly proportional to his sideburns at that point. Yes. So he has pronounced sideburns in this game but they're not as full-on mutton chops as they can be. Sure. So he has a pretty mixed bag of a game. Yeah, Like, yeah. he does some really, really good things. He does, like, he puts a kick out in the full, he misses that drop goal, yeah. he makes a couple of mistakes. If By the time the final rolls around, and he's growing them out a bit more, he improves. Yeah. Woo, but you look at, like, there. 2019, when he was playing really, really well for France. Mm-hmm. He had full-on, like, it was basically a beard, but without the middle part. Yeah. And that is when Maxi Medar's playing his best. He, his power comes directly from his sideburns. Yeah, yeah. I love Maxime Maida. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to be so sad when he retires. I know, he's such a weird brand of player, isn't he? I just, like, I love how distinctive he is. Man, when we're going to lose him and Uge. I know, it's gutting, isn't it? Oh, We've already yeah. lost Claire. I mean... Yeah. Man, gutting, isn't it? 
there's another point where yeah para just steps uh, a stagnant james hook who's fallen over on the floor this is of course not long after that roberts break where hook kicks it away so and hook is also not long after this uh missed a penalty so it's not a very good stretch of sort of five ten minutes for him bless him as we've probably no. um roasted james hook quite a lot at the minute but this does all lead to another morgan para penalty so france end up going six three up and again it's kind of like oh they've just kind of crept into the lead there how have they done that yeah, Wales are starting to pull themselves back into it. Yeah. But this is the point at which Aaron Ordecky really steps up and just goes like, Hello, yeah. I'm here. At this point, no, like he takes you'd his mask off. that's the point where it would be 3 all rather than 6-3, which is such a massive difference in this final, yeah. isn't it? When there's there's no points being scored. It's such a low scoring. It's the kind of game where after 20 minutes you can tell there's going to be at most two tries yeah. in this game. Yeah. And then not long before halftime, yeah, James Hook attempts that drop goal and it barely gets off the floor. It's a yeah, really we talked about attempt. that. It's a terrible, terrible yeah. attempt at drop goal. Yeah, Imanol Aronodiki makes a couple of key turnovers, a couple of huge hits. Bonner likewise. Carries. Bonner uh, makes Bonner, an insane very, very turnover. Two of them. Where he's got both yeah. Lydia and Alan Jones clearing him out, and he still manages to come up with the ball. Yeah. Uh, there's another bit as well around that period, just before Hook misses the drop goal, uh, where he penalises Yashvili for being a shithouse. And no, he's, he tells him off at the scrum for like not using it or something. Oh, he yeah, him, yeah. He says, be careful. And yeah. So. There's a couple of interesting points here, right? One is that he starts talking in fluent French to Yashvili. Uh, and this is where the narrative builds that Roland was biased. Yes. Because Roland had a French father yeah. and had lived in France and spoke fluent French. Yeah. And people heard him speak fluent French to the French come off, uh, you know, talk to him in detail in France, French, and they go, oh, wait a second. Yeah. This guy loves France. Yeah. Despite the fact we have no reason to believe he would otherwise, but he's given a controversial decision that was not his, it was World Rugby's, essentially. Yeah. You know, like I feel like another referee would have made that decision. Likely, another referee with balls would have done it. Of course, yeah. And not to say Joy Neville wouldn't, but, you know, you know what I'm saying. And, yeah, Roland speaks fluent French and the narrative begins to build. Yeah. But the, my favourite moment of that is he's speaking fluent French, then he says in the middle of it, play the ball, which is, of course, just like, jouer le ballon. Yeah. Sure. Uh, which, like, if I can translate it, why can't he speak fluent <laughs> I, I just like the thought of someone saying that in the Premiership. Yeah. <laughs> just to flex their French. You know, we know what Wayne Barnes <laughs> yeah. is like. Got Luke Pierce trying to prove himself. Yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong. Like, even aside from this, or oh, uh, this definitely does impact it, I generally mm-hmm. don't really like Alan Rowland. Sure. I don't like his general demeanour. And, like, I've made jokes before about Matt Carley having a power complex, but my God, Alan Rowland is very much cut from the same cloth. Like, he really talks down to all the players, and I just hate yeah. that from referees. You know, like, yeah. a lot of my favourite, like, we spoke, I've waxed lyrical about Luke Pierce before and the way that he mm. builds a rapport with players. And there's like there's a couple of refs who are like you know like Sam Grove White who referees in the Pro 14 and mm. like Mike Adamson and so on who maybe aren't the best referees technically but just have such a nice demeanour with the players and are respected. Sam and Grove White feels like, rather take that. like one of the seconds who's taken over and started refereeing. Yeah, yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Like no one's turned up and he's just like, all right, lads, you know, we'll have a, a nice fun game here, yeah. why don't we? And then he's inexplicably really good and everyone goes like, yeah. wait a second. But I would much sooner take that than someone like Alan Rowland who just always talks down to players and yeah, he has yeah. this massive superiority complex and I hate it. So he's a mortgage advisor in the real world yeah. who was prior to being appointed by World Rugby yeah. Board so I bet those are fun meetings. Yeah, I bet. When you know, like a struggling family goes in to see him, and he tells them to roll away. Yeah. Oh Christ! I bet he's. I bet he's a nightmare in those. But 
Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, half time hits. Uh, the the, the mm-hmm. thing happens where the pundits should talk about the referee decision at half time, and you know, fair enough. It's a very controversial. Yeah, one. like you can't, you can't. Argue yeah, and with that being the talking point, it was all anyone was thinking about at all that time. And that you know, Steve Ryder says at the beginning that we only have one thing we want to talk sure. about. Sure. Only one topic of conversation. It's the only thing we wanted to hear, to be honest. Like, and that's yeah. that's a complete anomaly, isn't it? Because usually we want to just hear about the rugby rather than the refereeing. But well, that was well, kind of too big. Ryder says that, and Pina goes, it's wrong, 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 wrong. And you go, okay, let's strap ourselves in. Yeah. Let's settle back down. The action's begun. So, uh, should we just skip to the second half? Let's. Yeah, we'll come back okay. to anything anything more on the punditry afterwards. Frats start the second half really well. They get straight into the Welsh yes. 22, and Parra narrowly misses a drop goal to the left. It's a really good strike, mm. actually. Uh, and they actually set for it, it well. He's quite unlucky on the kick. And it's one of those where he probably yeah. isn't scrutinised by his pack for that, you know? You compare it to James Hook's kick in the first half, right. same from a similar position, yeah. and you go, yeah, you know, like it's it's a really good strike by Parra, especially considering it's not a situation he's ever been in before, yeah, right? Considering he is a scrum half who, whenever he's practiced drop goals like that, he's been pissing about in training, right? Yeah, it's it's been that bit where every when the number eights in second rows are trying to practice their drop goals, <laughs> exactly. I think the first sort of five ten minutes of the second half are really where France win the game. Mm. As soon as Wales get a foothold into it, there's a point where Hugh Bennett slightly overthrows the line out, and Julian Bonaire catches it. And this, when I think about this game, other than the Warburton incident, this is the one that comes mm. to mind. And Julian Bonaire catches it at the tail of the line out and boots it downfield into the like from the French twenty-two into the Welsh perfect, one. Perfect, perfect touch finder. Yeah. Like, ball rolls out, beats the fullback into touch. In a split second, like, he decides to do that as well. Like, he has yeah, spotted the space back made. there before the line has been thrown in. See, I didn't remember that at all. But it was I, a, that stuck that was a real moment of happened. him being... Mm. Like, that, that has... The, the imprint of Julian Bonaire booting the ball into the Welsh 22 has not left my mind since it happened wow. uh, permanently. Yeah. Uh, I think about it, it every minute. A, it was simultaneously such a Bonaire thing to do, such an un-Bonaire thing yeah, to do. Yeah, because you don't think like, he was kicking, kicking, but you do think about the fact that he could do anything game. to win games. So yeah, and anything to be annoying and frustrate the opposition. Yeah. and you know, Bonaire was one of those players. He didn't go out to try and win the game. He went out to try and make the opposition lose. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. So he makes a perfect touch finder, uh, and Wales at that point decide to shepherd's hook their ten. Yes, and on comes Stephen Jones. Correct call. Yeah, uh, I mean, obviously we scrutinised Hook quite a lot. He, but... Gatlin clearly went at half time. I'm giving you five minutes to sort your shit out, James. Yeah. Like you've got five minutes to turn things around, or you are off. Yeah. And so on, 45 minutes, the moment that bell goes, Stephen Jones is off. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, he immediately makes an impact and puts the ball into, mm. like, pumps it down into the French 22. Uh, and he has a couple of brilliant moments of just going, right, we're getting out of here. And yeah. he manages the game so calmly. And like, he's the composed number 10 that if Wales don't have Priestland, that they need. That is a different game if he is on immediately after Sam Warburton's car. Yeah. If he is there to go, lads, let's calm down a bit. And don't get me wrong, there's still panicky moments while he's on yeah, the Yeah, yeah, yeah. He does, he does have a couple he of He is the calming but... influence throughout the yeah. Like they're not they're not him doing it. Yeah, they're players around him making mistakes. Yeah, absolutely. There's a point where Paul James is penalised at a mall, so France end up going nine yeah. three up not long after this. So it does suddenly become much more of an uphill climb because six points is a massive gap in a game like this, where there's just so little space, so little opportunity for a try, and especially when you've got the likes of, like Yashvili's kicking really well. He's constantly putting Wales in the corners. Aaron Ordekey's stealing lineouts left, right, and centre. It's gradually becoming a bit of a nightmare for Wales, isn't it? 
there's one moment in particular around, I think, 45, 50 minutes where they get incredibly panicky. They play a good crash ball, foul it out the middle of a line yeah. up. Uh, he makes a really good carry, and then they bring Hugh Bennett around the corner to try and smash that up. And um, I think it's Dusit well makes a really good shot on Bennett, mm. sends him backwards, he loses ground. Yes, I remember And this. Wales just start panicking, yeah. and they start trying to offload, they start trying to get passes, yeah. and none of them are working. And the ball keeps being fumbled on Bonnet the ground. covers three men in that movement, in one phase. Yeah. Chris Harris-esque. Yes. By the time the tackle is eventually made, by the time the rookie is set up, they've lost 15 metres. Yeah. All off the back of one good hit on Hugh Bennett. And that's kind of what the second half was like a bit for Wales. Yeah. For at least the first... The French Barrows stood up so solidly. Yeah. Mm. Luckily, as I say, like, if they had James Hook on that point, I would fancy France to have scored another three points off the back of this. But luckily, mm. Stephen Jones does manage to get him back into the French half. There's one point where... He, he puts in this brilliant kick which puts heaps of pressure on Maxime Medar and he has no choice but to kick it out on the full. Mm. Like, he has no angle to work with. Bear in mind, Medar's a left-footed kicker as well. He's and... either kicking it straight to half-penny's throat or he's... Yeah, it and giving and it tries... Wales a massive counter-attacking yeah. opportunity. He tries to go for something ambitious, it just goes horribly for him. Yeah. Uh, his sideburns were not long enough. Yeah, but the thing... France are just constantly in the Welsh half this whole time. Like, Maxime Mermoz has a couple of great kicks where he, he puts it along the floor and just really has to force Wales to play out because I think France had just kind of figured out how poor Hook's game management was. And mm. granted, they're projecting it onto a different fly half, but they're still thinking, Wales are going to fluff something at some point, so we're going to find a three-pointer eventually. And this team looked far more nervous than France. Yeah. France looked fairly composed. Yeah. But like they weren't necessarily doing anything good, but they weren't making mistakes. Yeah. Whereas Wales, as I said, were the protagonists of this game, and they were the team that were seeing more of the ball, and they were the team that were perhaps doing the more showy things. But they well, looked anxious. They looked nervous. They were struggling to cover things. You and... could, you can say that Wales were the better team and deserved to win this game, and I maybe, I, I maybe think... agree with you, but I, I still don't... think that France did exactly what they did to capitalise on what they had to exactly. do to win this game. Yeah. Fr- France... We're ruthless with that, you know. There was there was a couple of really key moments. As I say, there was that Mermoz kick. There was that song player at one point uh, thinks about having a run down the wing and instead he chips it over the top, thinking, "Well, if if in doubt, put it in their twenty-two, force yeah. them to panic and and play out." Because worst case scenario is they're ending up back in our half. So what? And they were, they were not afraid to just sit back, defend, and just as long as they were in the opposition half, they did not care what was going to happen. We can ignore the red card, right? From the evidence we saw in this game, Wales should have won. Yeah. Wales should have won this game, and they did not, right? Yeah. They had a majority of possession and territory, the 66 and 65% respectively. They had plenty of opportunities in the 22, or around the 22-meter line. Yeah. They had loads of, they had, you know, three penalties that were kickable that they missed. They had a conversion that we'll get to that they missed. Yeah. They were given so many chances to win this game and they didn't take any of them. They didn't know how to. They weren't composed enough. They weren't good enough, frankly. And they didn't know how to manage the game. They looked yeah. panicky. They looked uncomposed. And they didn't They didn't look like a team that wanted to play in a World Cup final. Yeah. They looked like a team who would stretch beyond themselves, frankly. Mm-hmm. In terms of temperament and in terms of... of not in terms of physical ability and I think that's sheer it. rugby. They had cracks in their temperament which France yeah. just perfectly slipped into. Like, so yeah, rather they, than necessarily needing to be the better team, they knew perfectly how to expose this Welsh team. That's it. They, and they, poured, go, they poured water into the cracks and then it froze over. You know, yeah. like France had done a minor job, but the moment that froze over, it cracked everything open exactly. and the egg broke. They made it so hard for Wales to, to mm. get into the game. And six points behind, 
it's as I say, it's such a massive, massive gap. And like, I completely get what people are saying that there's a world in which Wales could have won this World Cup, right? Yeah. And I think you look at the the foul time knock on in the first minute, and maybe if they scored off that, they would have. But I don't know how you can look at the second half of this game and go, this team would have taken the All Blacks in the final. Yeah, I suppose I'll come on to this later, but my narrative with this World Cup is very much the same as everybody else's, that I'm very proud of how the boys played. Yeah. Because we did punch above our weight. We, we finished, what, third, maybe fourth in the, the Six Nations fourth. this Oh, this in the year. Six Nations, fourth, yeah. Yeah. We lost to the Barbarians in the summer. We won one game out of two in the Test Series against England in the summer. You know, you don't look at that and think, oh yeah, they're favourites to win the tournament, uh, do you? Mm. You don't necessarily think they're going to make the semi-finals or even the quarters. So I'm very, very proud of that team for getting that far. And look, yeah. I am, of course, gutted that they didn't get a bit further, but... You compare that to the 2019 team and this this point you well, we both made quite a lot about the mental strength uh, and the comparison mm. there. And yes, I'm very proud of how the 2019 team went, but I think they underperformed in the fact they didn't win the tournament in 2019. Yeah. I think Agreed. that I expected them to win it. And that's just that sounds very harsh because I'm very proud of the team for getting that far because it's very difficult to win, especially <laughs> yes. when, you know, that Springboks team, Razzie Springboks team they came up against. But I do think that they can, they can be criticised for not winning that tournament. Uh, because yeah. they were arguably the best team. They were, the, they were the team to do it, you know? I think that team was almost a reaction to what happened here. Yeah, I think and so. the things that Wales were good at in 2019 were the things they were bad at in this World Cup. Yeah. in the, Just Wales knew how to win a game in yeah. 2019, and that was the one thing they had going for them. Yeah. Whereas here, you had a really... It's kind of the inverse of this, isn't it? Backs. You had, you know, like, all the composite parts that you talk about, and you go, yeah, that's what, make, what makes a good rugby team. Yeah. But they didn't know how to win a game, which is the most important skill. And it is a skill, and it's a very defined skill. Yeah. And again, there's a point in this second half where... Wales, actually, no, we should probably do the try first. Um, Let's do it. Let's do it. So, Wales have a line out just inside the 22. First off, brilliant kick by Stephen to get them there. Yes. Stephen Jones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. So, line out, ball, they're just going through the phases roughly. and they Their shape looks Warren great balling. at this point. Like, this is the best it looks all game. Uh, there's a great, like, tip on pass from Charteris to, mm. to Falatau. And it's amazing, like, when teams barely did it at this stage, the difference mm. that made getting the rucks slightly wider yeah, yeah. out and having still your forwards rucking over it, like, it made such a massive difference. It's it's amazing it took as long to catch on as it did. Yeah, it's mad. Like, we're sort of three years away from people going, should we just try that all the time? Yeah, every single phase, let's do that. Yeah. Yeah, and then what happens? So, they crash it in, and the ball starts to slow down a bit. Falatau takes it in, and Phillips is at the base of a ruck, and one man just drifts slightly off him to watch. Because we've been playing through the phases quickly, and it starts to open up that kind of space, especially back then, drifts off slightly, they turn their body away from Mike Phillips, which is always a mistake, Yeah, hand off, dummy, he's through, he just goes straight for the corner. Dives over. Brilliant scores. try. Brilliant try. Brilliant try. And yeah. I love. I also love the celebration as well. I know that it's Mike Phillips being a bit cocky, but you could see the emotion in that. And after mm. he's grounded it, he has sort of thirty seconds of looking really emotional, and then screams, "Come on!" Afterwards, and yeah, he is so pumped at this point. Mm. I remember at the time because I was very anti Mike Phillips, being very critical of, "Oh, he should have taken it under the post." There's no chance yeah. of getting the post. I don't think. I don't think. Uh, no think chance at all. As as yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, Alex's Palaton well. hairs it across to try and keep him in the corner, and like his work rate on that because he didn't need to do really that. good uh really and he good. keeps yeah. him as far out as possible he and he could have won them the game yeah Stephen that. jones hits the post with the conversion so so if, the yeah so if I had phillips a... was an inch closer Stephen jones might have got that yeah so i made a noise as and this was the start of as i said i've been kind of 
the most invested watching this game as I have watching the most invested of any of the games we watched back yeah. in this podcast. Yeah. I was the most invested in this one. When Phillips throws the dummy and goes through, I made Argh! noise mm. like a, I couldn't believe it happened, even though I remember the tries. Yeah, it's one of the yeah. three things I've seen from this this well, this game. And he scores and I was I was sort of pacing around shouting, struggling to believe it. And then because Stephen Jones's kick looks so good and it he strikes it really well, doesn't at he? The last, like the the very last split second, it fades off and just hits the post and bounces back. And I genuinely thought it was going through this time. Yeah, like I genuinely I had the exact same like, thing. And it's a it's a thing you say of like you know we watch it back. It's like oh, I thought you were going through. It's like yeah. no, I gen my brain genuinely thought. Like, oh, he's got I it. I forgot he's got that it. he misses this kick despite knowing the score. No, I I, I rem- forgot I remember- that he missed the kick. Like when he st- no, obviously I remember I- that he missed the kick. But when he was taking it and I was watching it, like mm. if I saw that kick in isolation without the game, I would have forgotten. Yeah. Oh yeah, this one doesn't actually go through the posts. Yeah, yeah. Uh, obviously yeah, I remember no, Stephen Joe's missing the kick. Stephen Joe's missing the kick is like my main memory of this game. Yeah, it's the, yeah. the bit that really sticks in my mind more as than say, anything I can, else on the side. Yeah, yeah. As um, I say, I can remember um, Mike Phillips uh, not running under the post because he couldn't. And yes. thinking thinking he could, but obviously he had no chance. But no, I genuinely thought it was going through. And I yeah. screamed when he hit the post. Like yeah. I genuinely let out like a proper... No, no, no! Noise. Uh, it was loud. So, well, uh, And from here on out... I am then shouting and screaming at everything that it's, happened. It's so Wales taking the kickoff. Yeah. yeah. Nine eight down. And Talupe Falatau almost instantly makes a break and goes right through. What a break that is. So he manages to step inside two Frenchmen, then does a bit of a dummy kick, doesn't he? And sort mm. of barrels over another one. It's it's a hell of a break. And then they sort of hit it up via Jamie Roberts, don't they? And they just yeah. aim to get as close to the French twenty two as possible. And so, this is this momentum is ruined by a certain Thierry Doucetois. Yes. Okay, I'm going to show you my notes, right? What, so it says, go on, Toby. Penalty against Doucetois. Right. I've got some comments about uh, Alan Roland in there as well. So, um, that yeah. That came too late. Thierry Doucetois. Doucetois? What? It's... it's, it's Let's look at it as a world How did class he get away with it? Yeah, I know. It's insane, oh, absolutely. No, absolutely. It's incredible. Like, that is to get away with it. But like, that one is... of the best flankers in the world gets away with that. Mm. So, But I don't... I, I don't see how he didn't spot Richie it. Richie McCaw or Sam Warburton, as, well, as I mentioned, do. Yeah, David Pocock. They get away with because they know they will, right? Yeah. Doucetois, he has no 99% way of, gauging that. of the time, yeah. thinks he's, he's going to get penalised so for that. What actually so happens why is, does he do it? He doesn't contest the breakdown. Mm. But he knows that th- the way to slow the Welsh ball down isn't by contesting the breakdown. It's not lying off his feet. It's yeah. nothing like that. It's to go in and obstruct Mike Phillips. So he plays yeah. the nine and pulls so him he, as far away from the ruck as possible. He steps so over no the ruck. Stre- steps over the ruck, grabs Mike Phillips and pulls him back from the ruck. Like he, he knows how slow Mike Phillips is at better times. Yeah. So he, he makes a very deliberate... It's, playing know, the nine. It's playing the nine. It's a deliberate block. He drags someone away from the ruck. Yeah. Right? Like, he also steps over the breakdown, which isn't, you know, allowed anyway. Yeah. Uh, he's in an offside position. There are four penalties at least against Dusatois. And Roland clearly thinks they all cancel each other out and yeah. doesn't give one. Yeah. And that's, uh, for the record, I'm not saying this is a false foul on Roland. No, I... This is... Well, I mean, it I, is. Yeah, yeah. It's a I very clear penalty. The, but... This is the one error, I think, in his game that really annoyed me. There's there's other stuff that you go... It's very, very clearly... You very, that's very, very clearly clear penalize, uh, That's very clearly a penalty. That's very clearly a penalty. But my point is, I consider it more good play by <laughs> Doucetois like... than bad by I, Roland, because I it's so do. insane. You, you know my position on this, yeah. is I'm very, very strong on... 
if the referee's letting get away with it, get away with it. You know, yeah. like it's it's not about oh the referee is poor because he wasn't penalized a breakdown. It's like yeah. no, only one team was exploiting the breakdown, not sure. being refereed. Yeah. This is a case of just like he misses a very blatant penalty that Deuce Tuard couldn't have known he was going to get away with. Yeah, yeah. Um, and this and was very feels... much in half penny's range. It's a like it's it could have been a yellow card offence. Yeah. Well, it's not even half penny's range. Like it's Stephen Jones's range. Yeah. Like it's yeah, it on is. the twenty two meter yeah. line. And it's just next to the post. Like, it's so gettable. I had no memory of this whatsoever. Me neither. I was fuming yeah. watching it. Yeah. That's that's insane. And as I say, like, he gets away with it. He's one of the yeah. best flangers in the world. By the by the time Wales play the ball, their line is of basically time, set yeah. up. The yeah. French line is basically set up. A couple of phases later, Faletau drops the ball. Wales managed to regather it. But eventually, nothing really happens. They're sat around the 22-metre line, and they never set for a drop goal. Yeah. So... Phillips ends up passing it back to Stephen Jones for a drop goal. It's a really bad pass by Phillips as well. Mm. Like, it's really unsympathetic. So Stephen Jones has to kind of take it on his stomach uh, rather than catching it in his hands. And then he has to, to take a couple of seconds to readjust and but he it, ends up going off yeah. his left foot instead. It and, feels like a snap drop goal. It doesn't feel like it was on. Yeah. They, don't, they don't set up for it. Was yeah. what I was trying to say. Like, they don't... What I find and really interesting saying, about this mm. is after the game, Lawrence Delalio and... To be honest, like for once, he's actually really a really, really yeah, qualified yeah. person to talk about this because he talks about in 2003 they they spent basically like so, a couple of days in the week leading up to the mm. final just practicing that yeah. and just how poor it was Wales yeah. not knowing how to execute that and leaving yourself in a position where I mean if you've got Johnny Wilkinson as your kicker that's okay but Stephen Jones is recognizing recognizes kicking off his right foot. Mm. I very rarely saw Stephen Jones kicking off his left foot ever. And at that point, he has to. And Dan Parks in the group stage with the Contopomi thing. Yeah. Likewise, you know, you don't want to be in, put in that position. So you need to give your opposition flankers no path towards your 10. And you have to give yeah. your 10 a really, really clean pass in order to, to slot the drop goal as best as possible on his correct foot. I've heard the England team talk about that for 2003. That the yeah. only part of that lead up to the drop goal that isn't scripted is Dawson's dummy. Yes. Like, and that's why it works because every other England player isn't expecting it. Yeah. Like every player knows exactly their role. They know exactly where they stood. Like they know, they know where they're calling the ball of the line out. They know where they're playing yeah. each phase. Like way before this was a thing, way before you were putting your foot yeah. in every position for that passage of play, they knew exactly what they were doing. Yeah. And Wales get no sense of that. I don't yeah. think they had. They clearly had a thing they would do. Sometimes they would go for a drop goal. Yeah. But. There is no setup. There's no deliberacy to it. And Wales then get back into the 22, yeah. like 10 minutes later, and they don't even bother trying to set up for it, despite yeah. having a few really clean chances. Where Steve just thinks about it a few times, but then he ends up flattening up and just kind of thinking, let's just try and go through the hands, and he ends up knocking I it on I himself. don't know where you're getting the idea that he might have. He was stood in the pocket for a couple of phases. Yeah, I don't think I think he just stood and fly off, just barking orders. But he, no, I, I think he stood in the pocket and then he flattens up and mm. incorrectly. Unfortunately, uh, and he, make, he yeah. makes that error, and that is an error. Unfortunately for Stephen Jones, yeah. you know he has a really, really good game, and he makes some brilliant kicks, and he continues to do so after this. You know, there's there's a point where Rougerie puts Wales in their own half, and you think, oh god, even he's standing up now. Like it's all of the senior That's players. A are... Really smart call, because yeah. they throw it into Rougerie to run a crash ball, and instead he just drops onto his foot. He's and the player in the French back line you'd least expect to kick. Yeah, he's um, the only one that hadn't kicked up until that uh, point yeah, as well. Yeah, exactly. And like, it's a really smart kick into the French half, mm. no, into the Welsh half. And then, yeah, you just find points where like, Wales look like they're kind of pissing about in their own half a little bit and just it's, like yeah. going through a lot of phases. And it's just like, lads, just you got Stephen Jones on the pitch. He's he's currently finding so much grass behind the world, the French wingers. Mm. Uh, eventually, he does step up and do that. And Maxime Medar does a phenomenal step to evade John Davis. Jonathan Davis. Uh, yeah. And manages to clear the lines. And he looks uber composed and again like that's one of the things you think sideburns like, growing sideburns longer than the start of the game that's a very good point yeah 
He's getting better as he goes on. He didn't have a shave at half time, and therefore he can do that. (laughs) See, that's what you need to do, right? If you're going to beat Toulouse, if La Rochelle are going to beat Toulouse in the final this weekend, right? What they need to do is they need to just bring some scissors yes. and just hide them somewhere and just trim his sideburns ever so slightly yeah. as he's lying at the bottom of a ruck. Yeah. If only we could go back and uh, turn back time. and I wouldn't stop um, James Hook missing that kick. I wouldn't stop Sam Auburn getting sent off. I would just trim Maxime Medal's sideburns. Yeah. I'd just go up to him in the team hotel That's while he's That's the true sliding just doors moment. pour some shaving cream on yeah. and just, just try and take See them apart. Yeah. Take them off. Yeah. So yeah, so Wales get back into the 22... Following that, they run some really good phases with some pace, but they don't look like scoring a try because the French defence is excellent. Yeah. But they have plenty of really prime opportunities yeah. to to take a drop goal, to try and kick something. And not only do they never set up for it, right, they then have a prime opportunity where there's no French... That France have taken a few steps backwards on consecutive rucks. Stephen Jones is stood between the posts and instead he runs in to carry himself. He knocks it on and then he gets penalised. Yeah. And that is the opportunity gone. That is yeah. a chance gone. That is the World Cup semi-final. You'd think at that point, gone. Yeah. So not long after this, France do um, clear the ball and get up to halfway where Wales are playing about a little bit. And then comes the moment. Yes. This is... So Julien Bonnet like, drives beyond the ball. Yeah. And I don't think it's that dissimilar to what Doucetois did. Do you not? It's not the same. It's not as bad. But he, he drives beyond the ball. I think Nicola it's nothing the same. to try and take it. Okay. Maybe I'm just being over. I critical. think what happens is Bonnet drives through the middle completely illegally. Luke Charteris, slightly, the ball slips out of his grasp. And then he puts his hands back on it and should have been penalised himself. Uh, Wales yes, end up getting I the penalty. I also think that's true. I think that should be a penalty to France. I don't disagree with that. I don't think what happens between Charteris and Mass is a penalty to Wales. I see why it was given, uh, and I know at the time a lot. I think of it's a very, it very this. contentious decision. Yeah, the narrative was that, that the, was War, no, Roland trying to give the game back to Wales, wasn't it? That's yeah. what people claimed. And it's not if true. That was the case. He would have penalised Dusatois. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You know, like if he had any remorse about the Warburton not thing. the thing. Yeah. You know, like it's there's no evidence in the rest of the game that he was he was thinking like that. Yeah. No. That he's had a guilty conscience. No. I just think that Alan Roland is not that good a referee and has made three massive errors, two for one team and one for another. I don't think he has a particularly bad game. Really. No, no, I think not there's, necessarily. There's I just don't think he's necessarily a good referee. Sure. Yeah. Um, like generally. Um, but no, and, and you know, as much you can, we can chat all we want about the refereeing decisions. Ultimately, France won this game. Or, or you could say Wales lost this game, as we sort of debated earlier. Mm. But 49 metres out from the French try line. Uh, this penalty is given to Wales, regardless of whether or not it should have been. And so Wales have at fullback one of the most recognised long-range goal kickers in world rugby. And Mr. Stephen Lee Halfpenny. Yeah, who steps up to take this. And fair play to him. You know, it's mm. such a, a huge, huge decision to take this. And Nick Mullins on the commentary says, we know one thing's for certain, he's going to have the range. The accuracy, mm. who knows? But... He'll have the range. Yeah. He falls short by an inch. He's it's millimetres away the, from the crossbar. The The slow motion shot of it just going under the bar is agonising. It's heartbreaking. Agonising. And, and his face as well. Halfpenny really beats himself up over it, um, yeah. which is well, he, horrible to think. He said since that he, he thought about it for about three years. 
Yeah. Like, almost every day for three years, he would think about that, about missing that kick. And he's knackered by this point. He's covered so much ground. It's, it's one of those games where a fullback has to cover a lot of ground because there's so much kicking being done. He's also like, he's doing that thing where he leaps three times his body height. Yeah. Which I imagine much knacker your legs. Oh, and half like, had such a good game. Like, yeah. As, as you say, he's knackered. Like, as well as this game, he's been uh, out on Gorsain and Fields kicking with his granddad since he was about nine years old. And yeah. he's one of the most hard workers. In, and we heard Sam Warburton talking about this subsequently. And this is sort of what motivated Lee Halfpenny to become a general goal kicker rather than a long range one uh, and him sorting that out and like he uh, in the Six Nations against Ireland next year he got the winning penalty granted it was a much easier kick but him saying like f- I think it sort of put that to bed for Lee you know uh, mm. quite a lot that now when you you think about Lee Halfpenny taking goal kicks this is one of the last ones that comes to mind him missing this this super yeah. important kick you think about how good a goal kicker he is and the fact that for the longest time he was he was one of the best in the world mm. And you know he was he was nominated sports personality of the year basically just because um, he um, had a good boot. It's very hard for him to take. It was really really tough uh, watching that kick and watching Lee Harpenny's reaction afterwards, especially. But yeah, yeah he oh, fell I, just short. It's heartbreaking. I'd pretty much forgotten about like I obviously knew it happened, but I'd forgotten that was coming. Yeah. Whereas there's a few moments that I remembered were gonna happen and I was anxious about, and then that happened and it was. By that point, I've got so many notes that just say things along the lines of, this is so hard to watch. Yeah. God, I hate this. This is the worst. Pence, old Matt, you know, all of this. Horrible, nasty, that's horrible, that's horrible. All of that is in my notes. And this is as hard to it's watch as it gets. That kick. It? It's heartbreaking. And in the minutes immediately following it, where Wales feel like that was our chance and yeah. we, we didn't get they it. They look defeated, don't they? Yeah, they do. They do. So Wales have the ball in the final passage of play. Yeah. And they play 27 phases. And they first get the ball pretty much on the halfway line. Yeah. And the game ends by Jamie Roberts knocking it on on the halfway line. Yeah. yeah. Right? Like they make 20 metres, they get up there, but France I like how them back. They had one last scrum, and that was where they put Jamie Roberts out into the backs rather than in the, mm. in the scrum, so they changed the formation. And then their set move was literally just give it to Shane. And I loved that. Yes. Just like, yeah. well, if we want to win the World Cup, we know what to do. But yeah, you're right. Jamie Roberts knocks the ball on, and Dimitri Ashvili kicks it out for full time. <laughs> 27, fa- 27 phases of Wales looking tired and like they're not going to get anywhere really helps soften the blow, I think. Yeah. I think if France had had the ball and we were really pushing and trying to regather it or something, or you know you know, what? If we got close, then maybe it would have been less heartbreaking. But there's something about watching going like, this is completely forlorn and we don't stand a chance. That was slowly over the last two minutes. I remember watching this quite vividly that, that mm. those phases of Wales attacking around the 10 metre line, maybe on the, the halfway line. Yeah. And us being so just like in bits about this because Wales, Wales were yeah. a point behind. Halfpenny missed this kick. Stephen Jones missed his kick. Warburton was off the field. And us just screaming, you know, go on, Toby, go on, Ryan, go on, Alan Wynn or whatever. And then I just remember this kid we were meant to be babysitting going, there's only 12 seconds left. I don't think they're going to win it. And we're like, yeah, thanks for that. <laughs> kid, had, kid had never watched rugby before. Uh, he didn't realise that, uh, that you could carry on after the 80th minute. But uh, that was that was not helpful. <laughs> No, we haven't given any context of that. And I think we should leave that as such. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, just a child. We just kidnapped a child. Yes. Yeah. Uh, he, he, he's so, that. No, he's not. Uh, I wish the dog He's was still there. got the gag on that we put on that day yeah. after that comment. Yeah. Uh, to be honest, I just forgot. But like after Yash really kicks the ball out, I just remember staring at the ceiling silently. Yeah. I think we I think we probably both were. And it was very similar to the 2019 semi-final. It was just I... heartbreaking. I, yeah, I mean, I 
as I, said, I think that final watching it back it felt horrible and it felt gutting and yeah. it felt obviously not as bad as watching it live because i knew a bit of it was coming yeah but it was it felt awful watching this back today it did, it did. like it really hurt yeah uh, like it is it is up there with big games where have lost in terms of just watching this for a second time 10 years on after 10 years of the yeah. blow being softened a bit and the the question i want to ask is the really sadistic but very very welsh question firstly of where does this rank for you if we're to say south africa 2019 france 2011 france this year and i'm trying and australia times three i guess where do they how do you how do you rank them if we take those as like the most five heartbreaking loss of the last let's say 15 years first off obviously it's irrelevant so but south africa 2019 was obviously the hardest and i think this so. was sacred I, I think because i had a genuine i had a feeling we were good as i say because because we should whereas... have won the world cup in 2019 because this team, I've gone and... very biased Welsh in the last half hour. I've just realised. No, I know, but I, I've, I've broken it, my. Hey, it, it happened to Francois Pina. No, yeah, that's like, true. no shame in it happening to you. Yeah, that's very true. The proud. It happened South to African Mark Cueto, you know. Yeah, but Wales should have won the World Cup in 2019, so that one hurt more. Whereas I wasn't 20, expecting yeah. this to happen. 2019, because the team weren't making mistakes. Yeah, you know. Whereas this Wales shoot themselves in their foot a lot. Yeah, exactly. Like, As I say, like this was unexpected. Therefore, it was much easier to be just proud of them. Yeah, exactly. And I think that was how it came out. Yeah. So that's 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 as far as I'm going to answer I, that question. No, I think that's fair. Uh, I think 2019 was worse for me. And I remember, I think we talked about this in the past. Yeah. But the, the sitting in silence for about two hours, yeah. if not three. Yeah. Uh, and not speaking after that. Yeah. Whereas this one probably lasted a few minutes, which is still a bloody long time. Yeah. France this year, I think it was about 10, 15 minutes of silence. Yeah. That was a hard one. That, that I think was that's horrible. I, think, like, I forgot I about think, that. I just no, hit I think behind France, the sofa. France this year is top for, is like, those that are the, awful. for me, yeah. hardest losses to take. It's South Africa 2019. I don't want to do this. The other one that really stands out to me, right? I don't even remember. Pro 14 semi-final a few years ago, like maybe 2014, I want to guess. Josh Madavesi scored a try in the last minute to win it against Munster away. Uh, and then the try was ruled out without going to the team. Like, Nigel Owens talked to the TMO, but they yeah, didn't show a replay of it. Yeah. For a knock-on by... And he'd been flown in by helicopter because his child had been born earlier that day. And he'd been flown in by helicopter to the game. He then scored the the try in the last minute to win it but Reese Webb had knocked it on at the base two phases earlier yeah. the TMO said that to Nigel Owens they didn't review it we didn't get to watch it he just ruled the try out after I just celebrated it that is a top five hardest loss to take yeah, I've ever that had because it was such a big game we were playing so oh, well Christ, I had a faith we could have won that it one. that's yeah. the other one that's the, that's totally the one club game that. Yeah. I guess Beer Ritz 2011 yeah. we're doing this now shit yeah. no 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 let's, <laughs> let's, let's stop that there yeah so, so the, the one other point of discussion before we move on to Man of Match and Dick of the Day yeah for you, could Wales have won this World Cup? Um, could they? Yeah. yeah. Th- they could have. I don't yes. think they necessarily deserved to. No. Because they they had weaknesses which France exposed. And you they have, have to be... big weaknesses. You have, you have to be flawless to win a World Cup, effectively. Warburton, Adam Jones, Priestland, all being missing was a huge, mm. huge factor in Wales losing this game. Were they all there playing the full 80 minutes? maybe they'd have won. It's pointless for us to debate that now, of course, but ultimately there were fundamental flaws in the Welsh game plan, which, or or not even the Welsh game plan, there were fundamental flaws in the Welsh psyche, which Mm. France exposed enough that they got a point ahead of them by the 80th minute. I think looking back on this in context of 2011, 
I think it's something quite interesting in that I think Wales could have won the 2011 World Cup, but this team wouldn't have won any other World Cup. Mm. Because weirdly, this was the World Cup out of all all 10 where game management was least important. Yeah. Where the teams that... France were frankly the team in this knockout stage that managed the game best. Yeah, because they, they had nothing to fall back on. Yeah, but they were, they were having like an eight-game nervous breakdown. Yeah. And yet they were somehow the most composed team. Yeah. Uh, and the All Blacks were not composed. They did not manage the game well. Uh, we'll get onto that eventually in the final. Yeah. And Wales really, really did not yet got this far. Whereas in 2015, that was not the case. The teams that managed the game best won the games generally. Yeah. 2007, that was the same. You look at any World Cup, basically, other than this one, a team having a nervous breakdown but being incredibly good at rugby wouldn't have got them as far as yeah. it got Wales and New Zealand in particular. Uh, but also Australia a bit. Yeah. And actually, Fran- yeah, France, exactly that. So I think there's something really unique in that situation. Yeah. In 2011 being a weird standout World Cup. I think the other question, the one other thing, is would Wales have won this game with Sam Warburton? I don't think he I don't made know. that big a difference. I don't think he would have changed. He was playing the... very well before he went off. He was, he was. And the, the, he might have given them a breakdown penalty or That's something. That's it. I think the answer to but... that is maybe yes, but not for the reasons everyone thinks. No, exactly. Um, he might have, in those final few minutes, pulled something out on French ball. Yeah that they could have yeah, worked with. exactly. But I don't think it disrupted... I think the team ruined their own chance, mm. and I think Wales should have won this game regardless. They should have won this game with 40 men. They were mm-hmm. a team that put themselves... Yeah, in they were good enough. Constantly. They played well enough that they should have they still won this yeah. game. Yeah, but... Like, uh, that thing I said about France, France. Were, at, were good for, at most, 12 points, really. Yeah. Maybe 15. Right, I think Wales, at most, were good for about 25, 30 points. Yeah. Right? And they scored eight. Yeah. And I think that is very telling. I think they only had one try scoring opportunity. They had loads and loads of points where they could have kicked goals, they yeah. could have kicked points, yeah. they could have kicked conversion. Yeah. And they, they didn't even think about taking some of them. Sure. Uh, and that, for me, is a team that is not good enough to win a World Cup. No, yeah, I get that. I get that. So we're, we're crossing so, the, the two hour mark on here. And I've just yes. got the last couple of things that I'd like to talk about. So there's, okay, cool. There's, right, okay. Um, after the game, we see Ryan Jones in tears. And there's a really emotive interview with mm. Jamie Roberts as well, where he's in floods of tears and like really mm. trying to smile about it. And in that way, Jamie Roberts does, you know? He yeah. talks about how great Stephen Jones was off the bench and the fact that he was very important, which makes you think he's quite bitter about James Hook. But I'm just going to play you a short clip of an interview with Warren Gatland after the game. You probably will remember I, this. No, yeah. I, okay, I wanted to talk about this, but yeah. So here it is. I just feel like the destiny of the result was sort of taken out of our hands with the, with the red card. I mean, I can understand he's lifted and that's a yellow card, but he's dead and good. He hasn't driven his head into the ground. So does that mean from now on, every time there's a tackle made and you lift someone, it's got to be a red card? I, mean, I just feel gutted on it. Not a dirty player, he's such a great player. Why spoil a World Cup semi final by giving a red card? I think he's absolutely gutted about it. But so that for us, the one, I thought our players showed great character, but a couple of shots of goal, we had a nail, you know, we might have won the game. But to be down to 40 men against you know, a world class opposition and have a chance to win, it just shows, you know, what sort of character our players got. So I'm, from that point of view, I'm you know, really, really proud of it, boys. He's ever the prophet, isn't he? Yeah. Are we going to give a red card for those tackles every time? Yeah. Yes, we are. <laughs> yeah, that's literally what's happening now, Warren. Ooh, okay. So can we segue from here onto Man of the Match and Dick of Go the on. Day? Go for it. Because I'm going to start with Dick of the Day, right? I think there's an argument for James Hook yeah. <laughs> for reasons covered. Very, very obvious. I think yeah. there's an argument for Mark Lee Avermont for reasons covered. Yeah. And there's an argument for Alan Roland. Oh, for I think I know covered. what you're about to say. 
What do you think I'm going to say? Are you going to say Warren Gatlin's the dick of the day? Because in the press conference, he says, uh, oh, it's been, a lot's been said about the yellow card. And then realises, oh, no, the, the red card, sorry. Is it that? I'd forgotten about that. Yeah. But that's a good point. Right, okay. No, oh, and he'd also, dig- this is really important, sorry to cut you off. Um, yeah, he admits gone. that he discussed faking an injury to Paul James. Really? Yeah. Uh, this was this was a, a big thing at the time, I remember. After Adam Jones went off, he said that he'd considered faking an injury to one of the front rows. They had a conversation in the coach's box mm. to see if they could go to uncontested scrums. Uh, and then eventually Gatlin decided morally it was the correct thing to leave both props on. Ah, See, okay, I would have done that if I was in that situation. Yeah, they'd had a conversation in the coach's box. Yeah, Gatland, that's Edmund really interesting. Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. Okay. He, of course, went on to do it against Georgia. Yeah, yeah. Which is why it's so obvious that he did cheat I, to win that game. I wonder if, in 2017, that is, yeah, um, yeah Gatlin pulled a prop off when he weren't injured. Yeah, Leon Brown. Were injured, yeah. So, yeah. If anyone that's unaware of that doesn't remember that, yeah. Wales were only seven points up against Georgia in the last five minutes. Yeah, and, and then the on their own trial on, yeah. Yeah, so he Gatlin cheated and Wales won the game. I, I wouldn't blame him doing that in the World Cup semi-final. No. I think anything goes in the World Cup semi-final. Yeah. I think spirit of the game goes out the window. Yeah, of course. You get to that standard. You get into a World Cup knockout game no and you don't think spirit of the game. No. Yeah. It shouldn't be. You know, yeah. like... The, you want to win, man. You want to win the World but Cup. going by... Yeah, going by rugby value... Hashtag rugby values is bullshit if yeah. you're playing in a World Cup semi-final. Yeah. All it's about is winning, you know. It's yeah. about cheating and getting away with it. It's about, you know, like the, someone commented on my video about... Um, the South Africa, the Springboks, yeah. saying you're saying so. You're saying Razzie cheated, like you, you bullshit. He'd hate this, and I was a bit like, uh, actually, firstly, I mean, I know for a fact he didn't, but that was literally a conversation he had. If what would we do yeah. if we could cheat? I'm like, yeah. how can we get away with cheating? That was a literal that's his conversation philosophy. That Rasmus had, yeah, exactly. Like it's you know him and uh, Neenaver's actual, uh, they're, yeah, their philosophy, their way of approaching the game, and I wouldn't blame Gatland at all for doing yeah. that. But that said, Warren Gatland is my dick of the day. Okay. Because it was that interview that swung it. You know, I had a few people in contention and then I listened to that interview and the question he was asked before he said that and started talking about the referee there was you must be really proud of your boys, right? You must be really proud of what you've accomplished in this World Cup, a young team, uh, and they've really come out giving it a really good go and they've been so unlucky here. And he then says, yeah, you know, I think the referee decided the game. Uh, I think that red card's bullshit and I don't think it should have been a card. And he then says that all the stuff I mentioned about... I get the red miss though. Right. No. So Warren Gatland is supposed to be the one person in that stadium of 75,000 people, including both teams, including the referee, including, you know, both sets of coaches and every fan in there, plus everyone watching home and television. Warren Gatland is supposed to be the one person for whom the red mist does not descend and who just goes, actually, how are we going to deal with this problem? Sure. Right? We are now one man down. We're going to change the way we play. We're without our captain. We emotionally have to weather this storm and then we change the way we play and we work out a way to win this game regardless. And all he was thinking after the game in which Wales had created chances and they hadn't taken any of them, the only thing he could blame was the card, mm. right? Gatland should have should have stopped, reconsidered the whole thing and gone, okay, this is a different situation, but we can still win this game, but we're still in it, but there's one point in it, you know, by the final whistle, never yeah. mind throughout the rest of the game. How are we going to change things? What am I going to do in terms of tactics, in terms of personal on the field, in terms of how I talk to the team and you know motivate them and get them in the right place emotionally after what happened, which is obviously you know free everyone for the first sort of five ten minutes after it happened. What am I going to do? And he didn't do any of that. Instead, he just complained. So it's quite a serious note on Dick of the Day. Yeah. But for me, that was a. I love Warren Gatland. I regard him as possibly the best coach of all time. Yeah. And I think he's wonderful. This is one of the very few times which I've ever criticized. Yeah. The only other thing I criticize him for is dropping Sam Warburton in the first test of the Lions in 2017. Yeah. But I think this was a failure on his behalf to not address the red card properly. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, uh, my dick of the day, 
I mean, James Hooker had a lot written down for. Yeah. Uh, I, I obviously listed all those things he did wrong earlier. I had that written down because of Dick of the Day nominations. But ultimately, I wouldn't be pinning my colours to the mast if my Dick of the Day wasn't Alain Cole Pierre Roland. <laughs> <laughs> Which is his real name, be, by the way. I wouldn't be me if I wasn't giving Dick of the Day to Martin Rodriguez. Yeah, that's true. No, yeah, go on. Sorry. Yeah, it's, it's, it's you know, as, as a Welshman, I've got to stick by... Uh, Stick for sure. what I believe in. So, um, uh, regardless of what you think about the yellow, the, no, about the red card. Oh, just a Gatlin there. Uh, regardless of what you think <laughs> about the red card, you can't. You you got to call him a dick. Who cares? Fair enough. Man of the match. So I think there are basically three contenders for this. Okay. And I am slightly torn between those three. Uh, for way was Jamie Roberts. I yeah. thought was brilliant. I thought Mike Phillips played very well. Mm-hmm. I think Nicola Nass played very well. But for me, it's between Jimmy Roberts and then two of the French back rowers in Bonaire and Aaron Nordicke. I think it's really level between those two. I am narrowly going to go for Aaron Nordicke. Okay, okay. And I've got a feeling you're going to do the opposite. So I think, first off, Toby Fallatow was brilliant for Wales. I think oh, Toby Fallatow was very in good, the, yeah. In the studio, they agreed that Fallatow was the best player in the park. Uh, afterwards, the three back rowers, of course, as you say, Jamie Roberts was everywhere. Nicola Mass, as you say, uh, I think Yashvili was fantastic. I think um, mm-hmm. he was constantly putting Wales back in their own half. I think he managed that game so well. But yeah, yeah, you're right. Julian Bonaire has always been sort of the player I think of when I think of back to this game. Mm. I think that he was just monumental at all the key moments in the game. He would come up with a, a so many match-winning turnovers, uh, and that kick as well was yeah. so true to why uh, why uh, France ended up winning this game. So, yeah, for me, it's Julien Bonaire. I think he's synonymous with the way France won this game. I can't argue with that. As I think it's a really, really close-run thing. I thought Bonaire yeah. was... Like, it's one of the best performances you see from anyone in this tournament. Yeah. Uh, between both him and Aaron Ordigui, who I just thought was... Yeah, they like, a couple phenomenal. of huge turnovers. There's a line-out steal Aaron Ordigui makes in the second half that completely, mm. like, throws Wales off completely. They were both monumental. Yeah. Proper World Cup finalists, those two. Very glad that we split the difference there and they each got one vote. Yeah, me too. So, oh, right, exhale. We got That's through that. it. We got through it. That's we got by far our it. longest we... episode yet. That, Hopefully yep. people have listened to all the way this this far. That was, I hope you enjoyed that therapy session. Yeah. We had to go over a bit, so we're paid for two hours. Yeah. Do you feel any grid. better having addressed this now? Uh, yes and no. Yes and no. I feel better in that we don't need to do it again. Yeah, that, that's, that's I've my never exact to, I've never got to watch that game again, yeah. right? And I might pull some clips for a thing, but that's fine. That's yeah. fine. I can deal with that. Okay, so we got... We, we made it. We got yeah. through it. I, w- I was, wasn't there, uh, looking forward to this at all. Like, neither of us no. were. We've discussed this before, and, like, we were texting each other during the week just saying, like, I, I really don't want to why do this. We, why yeah. are we doing this? Why um, are we doing this? And we've questioned why we do this podcast individually, but... I'm proud of us for making it this far. Yeah, we got we got through it, and we will now be moving on to the other semi-final between Australia and New Zealand. After which there are just two games remaining. One of which will be the third place playoff involving Wales, who will they be playing? We'll find out. Yeah, and the other will be the final, which will be contested by France, who of course made the first final also in New Zealand in 1987. We'll see you then. Thank you very much. I hope these. The, if you've been affected by any of the issues raised in this <laughs> podcast, please tweet at Squid Rugby and say, I'm really hurt and upset and I need help. And I will probably just like the tweet and move on. <laughs> if you tag me in, I'll send you a thumbs up. So I'm doing uh, more than the bare minimum. Uh, if you're affected by any of the issues 
in this podcast, please tweet at Zebra Rugby and yes. say please sign Chad Just tag, Plato. Yeah, yeah, Chad Plato in that uh, in that uh, chain of tweets. That's a great, yeah. great point. Uh, or at Plato Chad, uh, he, he did a full stop. Go all the way to the bottom. There's a massive thread on there, and you'll eventually find it. Yeah, do do your thing. Anyway, um, okay, we'll see you next week. <laughs> we'll see you then. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.